Hey, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Arkenex, and I'll be your host. And today we talk to Sternab, and it's a part two conversation with him. It's been about a year since the last conversation, probably more than that. And we just have like a detailed reflection on his journey through being a coach and being a caster. And like, I really like I want to emphasize detailed when it comes to like how much we went into um, everything from that span from his like his coaching careers for when he was in the um, uh, when he first started coaching for teams and how those games went and counter striding versus players and the mistakes he made and certain maps all the way towards Gamma right now so i hope you guys really enjoyed this podcast if you'd like to see any other guests please let me know in the comments below and yeah yeah so we're just gonna pick up where we last left off uh 2019 february was the last podcast the link's gonna be below for anyone who's interested and i'm curious um what's happened since then how was 2019 for you and yeah let's just start with a recap of that i guess yeah i mean 2019 was a was a big year for me in in a lot of ways because i mean at the start i think about what happened there you know i just come back from poland so in january 2019 me and xr we went out to poland and we casted the invitational calls from from the katowice studio when esl was still running things uh i think it was because at the time pro league was happening and they had like their super mega week going on which you know was a was a pretty big load on the casters, so they brought in an extra couple of casters and me and XR Troika. Um, I think anyone who probably remembers that stream or like me casting that will probably remember that my hair was a fucking mess, and I think a big part of that was like it made me realize how important appearance is, right? And I talked to the Ubisoft guys, and then they kind of like said the same thing about how my casting was really good. They 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 really liked my casting, but but you know I got to sort out the appearance and like the wardrobe and stuff like that. So I said, all right, you know, fine, fair enough, I'll I'll sort that out. And I already knew that OGA were gonna do some kind of LAN that they they had told me that I they wanted me to do the LAN and that they were gonna do a LAN. They didn't really give me any specifics of what was gonna happen, where if it was gonna be like an OGA invite kind of thing or anything like that. So after after I came back from Poland and you know I was getting ready to go to SI, I got a haircut immediately, just right off the bat. Cause I was like, you know, I gotta do something with my hair. Either I've gotta like dress it up more or I've gotta just get rid of it. So I decided I was just gonna get rid of it. So and you know, a big reason for that was was, you know, I wanted to kind of improve my appearance as a caster a lot more because I realized how important it was. So that's what I did. So we do that, I come back. Um, I kind of like think about my appearance a lot more and I think about my kind of presence on social media as well. Because this is the kind of a point where my Twitter was exploding quite a lot, mostly because of the mentions from the invitational qualifiers and stuff, which you know was good. And I was trying to capitalize on that a lot more. I thought going to the sixth invitational, I was going to be able to capitalize on that as well. So, you know, I had a lot, a lot of thought about that. And, uh, I had a thought about, you know, if I'm going to do OGA, then I need to go shopping at some point. I need to get, like, some new suits. And I had, I you know, I had opportunities to do that as well. And, you know, I try and I tried to do that. I think you see, if you watch my casting throughout that year, especially at stuff like Epic Land as well. And, um, and when I did Yukin, 
well, well, it was Premiership back then, but that was like much later on, like October. You see that I had like a vastly different wardrobe and like approach to stuff as well, in terms of like how I dressed on the stream. So that's that's kind of what I tried to concentrate on, because I thought that was always my biggest weakness as a caster. I think I can totally see that. I'm sort of curious about like casting the invitational quills or like getting to cast that in the land environment before it'll get pit. How was that? Like, did you get the shakes before um, that? Like, what part of no. that was interesting? The the invitational quills was was good because I think it was one of those times where I was like, you know, this is my big break, right? This is my opportunity to prove myself that I'm good enough to cast at this level. I always thought that a lot of the casters were good obviously like um i think the guys at the time you know milos emzo intero kicks were the main four pro league casters right yeah well we still had like a kind of pro league in the old format and i thought you know all these guys are good they're solid they're professionals but i always thought that i could do a better job in terms of game knowledge and bringing that from my competitive experience Maybe not where Kix is concerned, obviously, but I think the other three, for sure. And I always thought that, you know, this was my big opportunity to prove that. To prove that I really do know what I'm talking about. And not just that, but trying to approach the game in a way where I am a caster, but I'm trying to explain what's happening. And I think I did a good job on that in in the long term. I remember talking to Ubisoft guys about that. And they give me a lot of feedback afterwards, which, to be honest, I was kind of surprised about because it was the only casting gig where, you know, the feedback wasn't just, oh, you did a good job. You know, they actually broke down. They actually said, you know, this, these are the things you did well and these are the things you did badly. You know, they actually gave me solid feedback to work with. And uh, I've never had a casting gig like that. So that was very refreshing, to be honest. Um, I think the Ubisoft Montreal team is pretty solid, especially guys like Stuart Ewan guys who are like industry veterans at esports and they really do know what they're talking about because uh, i know like obviously with the announcement last night and everything like that that ubisoft esports the esports team they get a lot of flack but to be honest i, I do think the montreal team is you know they really got their heads on straight to be honest so i would never i would never doubt them or i would never give them any flack so you know that was very refreshing and i'm always thankful that they they brought me on for that so, <clears throat> excuse me. you know, like, casting the event itself, I was going into it thinking, you know, I'm going to do loads of prep, I'm going to do loads of research on these teams, and I'm really going to, like, bang it out like that. And I remember when we were casting the Latin America qualifier that, uh, you know, I was taking, like, loads of notes, and I was trying to, like, draw out stuff as I was going along in my notebook. I was trying to, like, draw out blueprints so I could explain it. And we had like a 20 minute break of this like absurd rehearse that was going on in Latin America. And I was like, we had to, we had to talk for 20 minutes, essentially. That's filler. And it was a killer, but all of the research that I had done meant that we didn't have to like just talk about random stupid stuff, you know? We, we actually talked about the games and we talked about the teams and we talked about, you know, what the invitational qualifying means. We tried to establish some more storylines and stuff like that. And, you know, we kind of just went from there. But my main focus was on talking about strategy because, I mean, this is at a time when Siege really was very diverse in strategy. So, like, can you speak a little bit more maybe on the casting device they gave you at the time and how you took that into Ogre Pit to, like, you know, improve I can, your I can casting actually, game? I can actually get the email up exactly what, what they said to me. I'm down. 
So he said, Hey James, I just wanted to say that your hard work this past weekend and during the lead up to it was greatly appreciated. That was one hell of a grind and you should know that it made an impression on a lot of us at Ubisoft. We'd like to offer some feedback on some parts of your commentary that we should think should to help refine your skills. Uh, there are times where you'd pick up your pace and stumble over words, which resulted in a statement that was hard to understand. Which, you know, I definitely understand. Sometimes I still do that. Sometimes it's unavoidable due to the excitement in a match, but sometimes something to be conscious of in moments of downtime or on the desk. Another topic is where you correct your co-caster on the show. You tend to do it bluntly, and while you mean well, it can come across as harsh to the audience. Our suggestion would be trying to turn that into less of direct connection and more of a dissenting opinion. For example, if your co-host were to say the sky is green rather than saying the sky is actually blue, instead soften the blow and say I think most people would see it as blue. Lastly, on the commentary front, when making analytical statements, be sure in the lead up to them that you've taken all information into account. As an example, there was an instance where you referred to a strategy involving Jaeger in the context of a round where Jaeger was not in play. Uh, I do actually remember this round I was talking about, but to be honest, I don't really agree with this specific example, mostly because I was talking about why there was a lack of Jaeger and why that's going to affect things and what would be different if we uh, you know, brought Jaeger in. That's fair. That's actually but, uh, really awesome feedback. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it was good. And, you know, I was reading through this and I was like, yeah, this is this is great. Uh, there was some other stuff, but, you know, it's kind of a long email, so. Yeah, so let's talk about, like, getting ready for Ogre Pit and, like, you know, getting to cast that. Well, I mean, there was a few steps before I got there. Um, for example, right, in June, I think it was, or July, it might have been later than that, actually. Uh, we had Epic Land 28, which uh, Ubisoft got us to do. Which was a pretty pretty nice gig, to be honest. We got three days of casting to do, where or was it two days? I think it might have been two days. Uh, where we casted you know, the group stage and the playoffs of a local UK tournament. And it was great for me because it, actually it would be my first LAN that I've ever casted, which was kind of a surprise to me, because <laughs> uh, you know at this point I was actually a fairly established caster. I like to think, with the casting the invitational calls and everything. Um, so, so, you know, it was surprised that this was my first one, but, you know, it was, it was cool that I got to do it. So, you know, we go there and it was like great to like fall to the players and get to know them and actually see who I'm casting. In the prep to this, I went to, um, I went to, a, a you know, Slater's, which is a local like suit shop here and I got some suits made up. But they were a little bit, little bit baggy on me, and you can see it. Actually, my profile picture is from Epic Lan, uh, on Twitter, and you can see that 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 jacket is just a little bit too bulky on me. Just a tad, yeah. Just a tad. So like, you see my shoulders uh, kind of come out a bit. Um, which you know I would learn, and I would go get a custom suit in in time for OGA, which fitted me a lot better. Um, so like that was one of the things I learned from Epic Lan, which is, and actually I got to give a big shout out to Desertu for that because Desertu kind of recommended me to go and and you know, get a custom suit and go to like places like John Lewis where they'll do like a proper you know private fashion thing for you because I'm not really that good with fashion. I'm sure most guys can say that as well that uh it's not really something you think about that often. So I went to John Lewis and I kind of I, I said to them, you know, I don't really know what kind of like what my colors are or whatever like that. 
And, you know, they helped me, like, get a proper wardrobe and, you know, a lot more, more of my casual clothes come from that now, you know? So, so that was good. It got me to be a bit more fashion-centric, you know? It got me to think about my appearance a lot more, which is what I was trying to do the whole time. So, so that was good. And, I, and yeah, still going to give a shout-out to Desert Chew for that. And, you know, also working, that was my first time really properly working with Desert Chew. And, and he's a really good caster, but also on top of that, he very much understands... Because I I like to think that I understand a lot about the competitive aspect of Siege, but he really understands the audience aspect of Siege, you know? And of a lot of esports, really. Given his background in League of Legends and Overwatch, that makes sense. But he really kind of explains storylines to me and the kind of importance of leading the audience down that kind of path, right? Of, like, explaining to them and hyping them up for a matchup, right? And getting them interested in a matchup. And, you know, he was really good at that. And on top of that, he does a lot of work. I thought I used to do a lot of prep work or, like, more than other casters would do. But I think Desertu and Ace of Pyrite, by far, I don't think anyone beats them in prep work. Maybe Dev Martyr, maybe, from what I've seen from him. But, but yeah, like, uh, those guys, they really blow me out of the water with, like, the amount of passion and amount of prep that they put into their casting. And, you know, it's inspiring, for sure, working with Des. So that was a really good environment. And it was good to, to have that because, you know, we would later work together on OGA as well. So, you know, he gave me a lot of tips on, like, working in a studio and working uh, at LAN. And I gave him a lot of tips about learning the game. And I gave him, like, some uh, examples of, like, callouts and things like that, you know? So I thought I thought me and Des had that like, really good bounce off each other. I'm... I'm still really disappointed I never got to cast with him at OGA because I thought we made a good duo, but yeah, maybe he doesn't feel the same way. I'm not sure. Well, I'm sort of curious, like what kind of prep work goes into casting? Like how does that, and how does that work? Like to, to be honest, to be honest, the prep work that I do as a coach is very similar to the prep work that I did as a caster. And it kind of makes me think that I kind of took the wrong approach to prep work as a caster. Because I never really focused on storylines. I focused on strategy. So, you know, if if, if uh, a team pulled out a strat, I wanted to be able to say, you know, yeah, these guys did this strat against these people. Or I wanted to be able to break down the strat and explain to the audience how it works. Or, like, you know, what the idea is here from each team. Or, like, you know, what are the counters? What could we expect the other team to do? That kind of thing. I really loved breaking down the strategy of the game. So that was always the thing that I concentrated on. Um, maybe that was the wrong thing to concentrate on because I lo I noticed a lot of casters don't really do that. They kind of try and tend to focus on like past results between the teams and things like that, uh, and they try and focus a lot more on storylines, right, than uh, than a natural strategy. But yeah, that's what I would do. I would just watch vods all the time. I'd just be like watching vods, staying up watching vods, taking notes on vods, you know. And that's kind of what I do now, anyway, so it's not really that much different in my eyes. Awesome. Um, and so you said you casted with him at the UK LAN. So that being your no, first... well, yeah, okay, so the Epic LAN, which is just a local tournament, but there is a important distinguish, you know, important difference to, yeah, to make, because there is the UK LAN, which is seen as the UK LAN, right? And there is, or like the Premiership one, and then there is the Epic one, which is a separate thing, right? It's like an open qualifier thing. 
Did you cast both, and were they both before Yoga Pit? I didn't cast both, actually. That's another conversation, actually, because um, there's actually a big turning point uh, last year where I go from... So, okay, it's no secret that I was involved in Challenger League, right? Um, I Back in, like, 2018, after my first OGA season, of, like, July 2018, right, after that, I went to the Paris Major, and when I was there, I talked to those guys, I talked to Ubisoft guys about doing Challenge League. And I was saying, like, you know, NA Challenge League has, like, no support. Like, how can I get involved? Because I, be, I would be fine casting NA Challenge League, you know? And I talked to a guy there called Trey Feebish, who's now one of the big guys over at NCSA Ubisoft. Um... And he kind of pointed me in the right direction, and he went, you know, this is what you want to be doing. You want to be talking to to ESL. I'll get you in, you know, and I'll tell them that you're going to be casting CL. And I think I talked about this in the last podcast, but there was a massive halapalooza with ESL saying, oh, you need to contact this guy, and then Ubisoft, oh, you need to talk to ESL, and oh my god, the communication was absolutely horrific. But eventually, I managed to, I think, like four hours before Challenger League started, they told me I was allowed to cast it. So I was like, okay, sheesh. So while I was casting NA Challenger League, I got involved in EU Challenger League. And while I was doing that, some EU Challenger League casters were not very happy about that. They saw me as like muscling in or trying to take their job or something like that, which I wasn't trying to do because one, you didn't get paid for it anyway. So I don't know how I could take anyone's job. And two, well, like back then there's like season eight of Challenger League, right? So like Empire and those guys and Ents. Uh, and two, there was not that many games to cast in the first place, right? It was it was two games going on in parallel. So I would take one, and then uh, I think it was demo at the time was casting the other one. So I don't know who you know that was. I was like me and demo were like the only English casters for EU Challenger League. So I don't know what I was supposed to be doing there, but yeah, apparently uh, some people were mad at me. So, but anyway, like they got over it and whatever. But for NA Challenger League, I basically did everything, right? I, I set up all the graphics, I set up the streams. It was me, Stokes, Flynn, and Rams who were casting NA Challenger League at the time. And I set up all the graphics for those guys. I sent them to R6 Esports for them to, twi- to tweet. Um, I think if you look back at the Season 8 graphics, you can see how terribly they're made because I made them all. So, yeah. For, for NA Challenger League, that is. So, yeah. Uh, after that, I don't think Flynn kept on. I think Stokes did for Season 9. I did for Season 9, maybe, I think. Yeah, yeah, I casted Season 9. Uh, but at that point, Rainbow Six UK came in, and they offered to give us money to cast US Challenge League on their channel. So that's what we did. We, we I took the money, I gave it to the casters and to the producers, and, and we casted any Challenge League like that instead. I think we did, so we did one game on the Rainbow Six UK channel, and we did one game on, you know, the other channel. And that went great. So then it gets to Season 10 Challenge League. And Rainbow Six UK say, quite fairly, that, you know, they're not in anymore, and they're they're good, basically. Which, you know, is completely fair. You know, it's not their responsibility to pick up the slack of NCSA. So I asked NCSA, you know, could we get some kind of budget? You know, so could we get something going on here? So I talked to a bunch of the guys at Ubisoft over there, and they just said they either leave me in the dark or they just said there's no budget available for Challenger League. 
or to not work on Challenge League at all. And I thought this was completely ridiculous. They're basically saying that, you know, they don't care about NA Challenger League and they would rather focus on, like, USN and they would rather focus on Pro League. Which I think was absurd because it's like you have to give support to the grassroots, right? Or else, like, what the hell is the point? And this is at a time also where EU Challenger League is, like, on the main channel. And I'm like, what is happening here? So I got a bit angry and probably a very ill-advised twit longer went out from me and looking back at it it was insanely unprofessional for me to have tweeted that but i did tweet it because i was pissed off i was pissed off for the casters and the producers the guys who work and for the challenger league players as well because like they get surprised there's no orgs available in challenger league right like ubisoft i don't know what's going on but they don't give it any promotion you know, so I don't think, I don't know, like, who would ever invest into NA Challenger League at this point? Uh, I'm not talking about now, obviously, I'm talking about back then. So make it to it longer, and I talk about basically about how Ubisoft don't care about this, and they, you know, didn't want to give any budget, and blah de blah And it got a lot of traction. And as a result of that, Ubisoft blacklisted me, basically. They said that, uh, and something very similar happened to Flynn as well. That, uh, you know, he he put out his thing, and then all of a sudden he's not casting events, right? So, you know, I'm I'm going here. I I do this twit longer, and basically people at Ubisoft say to me that uh, that they didn't appreciate the twit longer, right? And I am blacklisted basically. And I thought that was completely ridiculous that you criticize a company and that's their response. That's pathetic. I get that it was unprofessional for me to do that, but it's not like anything I said was wrong. Or that I was un un under like any NDA or anything like that. So yeah, I was like, cool, fine. Um, but there was a problem at this point, right? This was this happened around July, maybe August last year. So as a result of this, um, I get to cast the UK Premiership for like two weeks, and then after that, I got removed from it. And I didn't get to do the LAN because of that. Like, literally removed? Yeah, literally. Well, I mean, I only got booked to do two weeks of the group stage. So I wasn't like, you know, I was booked to do more and then I got removed from it. But I got told that that's why I wasn't doing the LAN. Because of that tweet longer than I made. And that a lot of people at Ubisoft weren't very happy about it. And I thought, wow, that's insane. I've actually been removed from this because of that. So I thought, okay then, fine. If I uh, if I'm not gonna cast, and you know, subsequently I got removed from EU Challenger League and stuff because of that. So I thought, wow, okay, that's kind of ridiculous. So uh, if they're not gonna let me cast, I'm just gonna coach then. I asked Pat if they were looking for a coach for the um, for the Premiership season that was coming up that month, and he said, yeah, sure. Well, actually, they were looking for a coach, and I declined them previously because I said that I was probably gonna be casting. And then I find out I'm not casting, so I'm like, fine, I'll coach. And I thought to, I think it was Dowie, actually, that I thought at the time about coaching. And he said, yeah. So, you know, I coached them. I coached Demise through the Premiership Spring season. Yeah, spring 2020. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I mean, we can get to that later, but, you know, OGA Pit happens before all of this. Yeah, let's talk about OGA Pit. I'm so excited to hear about it. So... So yeah, um, OGA, by the way, before we start any of this, amazing tournament organizer. I wish they would come back to Rainbow at some point or Ubisoft would hire them. 
OGA is probably the best tournament organizer that Rainbow Six will ever have. And I know some players have been upset in the past with some of their admin decisions about something. Uh, anytime they make a mistake, they always like bring it back or whatever. But to be honest, I think OGA is like the only tournament organizer that actually cares about pl what players think and what players are going to do. Really quick, before we head so, into the details of that, do you feel like you have that statement because of your experiences with them? But also, isn't it a different ball game when it, an organizer has to like completely run a league, like a face it or ESL type thing, compared to if they just have to do a one-off event? They have a lot of opportunity in my eyes to, you know, blow that off the water. Maybe, but here's the thing, right? OGA are not these like inexperienced guys who've only do Rainbow Six or something like that. Like that whole small team that they have does Dota, CSGO, Overwatch, and then Rainbow Six, right? Like these are not small time guys. These are guys who are doing the same job as Face It with like with like one percent the manpower. That's and they're so doing impressive. it better, in my opinion. So, you know, I think OGA is like the best tournament organizer I've ever worked with. Uh on top of that. They are on time for payments every single time. Not just on time, but like, for example, right? First OGA season I did, I give my invoice. Next day, the next day, I got money. I've never had that with any other TO before. Not even ESL does that. No, I think I think uh, paying players or coach or just whatever is usually something that takes a while. You shouldn't expect for a couple months. That's actually yeah, impressive. Exactly. So it was OGA, a uh, prize pool gets paid out instantly. All the time. Uh, I know they had some stuff in season one where, so I don't know if you know, but like um, normally, well, I mean, I'll say it for the viewers anyway, that normally when you play in a tournament under an org, the org is the one who invoices for the prize pool for that tournament, and they're the one who gets the money. They take their percentage off, and then they distribute it to the players. That's normally how it works. So there was a lot of disputes, I think, over the first OGA season with like orgs and stuff about who should get the money and stuff like that. Uh, I know Penta went through it for sure, and I think a few other teams went through it. Uh, but all of that happens internally. That had nothing to do with OGA. In fact, OGA did, did a lot of work to try and make sure the players weren't getting screwed over. So it was good. Awesome. Well, it's glad to know that they actually take like extra steps to make sure players are paid well and safe. Let's talk about the details of that tournament then. So, so I knew like so far in advance that, as I said, like by the time I was doing the six invitational calls, I knew that OGA were doing a LAN that it was going to be in December, and that they were going to do it in a hotel. I knew all of those things like so far in advance. And, you know, I was always excited. And I, as I said, like, I, I bought a whole new wardrobe just for OGA, you know, and I had a big think about what I was going to do. Um, so then I hear in, like, September about the qualifiers and stuff, and, um, and I helped them design the format for the qualifiers with Ubisoft. Um, they, asked, they, they were constantly asking for my, my advice because I was the only person on their team. Well, I mean, I wasn't really working for them, right? I'm a freelancer, you know. Um, but, you know, they were asking me constantly about feedback for, for the stuff. And that, that was the other thing that made them, like, a really good TO. Is, like, 
you know, they're they're talking to the guy with with the knowledge. You know, they don't they've run like a couple of tournaments in Rainbow Sure, but like they don't have the knowledge that I do. So they're always asking me for the advice. So I was like, you know, talking to them about a qualifier format, about doing an open qualifier and then a closed qualifier, right? And like doing the invites to close qualifier. You know, similar to how the invitational qualifiers used to work, right? So so you know, I was a big fan of doing like the Swiss Cup format, like that Allied did as well. And we didn't even talk about Allied either. Allied was the whole thing. But we can talk about that after. Yeah, we can go we can totally go to Allied yeah. after. Were you at the you were yeah. not at the Allied LAN, were you? I wasn't at the LAN, but I did but the you were calls the, for with it. the calls for it. Okay, cool. Yeah. That that was a whole that was funny. Um so yeah, like uh <laughs> Um Where was I up to? Oh yeah. So you know, they would like constantly asking me about the calls qualifier and stuff. And then they asked me about casters. Right, and they basically asked me like, who do who do I want to cast with, right? And all I said was like, you know, Hap, and then because the, Hap, I casted the Allied qualify with him, right? So I knew Hap was like solid, and I just said all the UK casters basically, like you know, Xi Troika, Ace of Pyrite, Desert Chew, Demo, uh, Captain Fluke, Xi Troika. Did I say Xi Troika? Yeah, you're talking Could about the miss- people who casted the Ogre Pit, right? Well, they asked me who who do I want to cast with basically, oh, okay. right? And I was like, I just gave up all these names of all the UK casters, right? Like I know Captain Fluke's a solid caster. Captain Fluke, I mean, they know Captain Fluke as well because they did um, they did OGA season two with Captain Fluke, so they know that she's a, a solid caster. Ace, I, I know was was there as well. Desert Shoe demo, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so I just I just gave them all the names because you know UK massive. I just know that they're all solid casters, and I know that they're all going to ask for decent rates. Um, then we had a conversation about pay. I'm not going to going to go into details about what how much we got paid for that, um, but I will say that there was a rumor going around about me at the major that I had offered to cast the major for free, and apparently some of the casters had seen a conversation between me and an ESL admin. Where I had offered to to you know undercut them basically, that is not true. <laughs> I have no idea what this conversation is. All I can think of is that something was taken out of context. Uh, for example, I had offered to do the Allied minor, right? But I had offered to fly myself out there and then add the you know invoice in, of like you know like be reimbursed for my travel basically. If they were acting on like a reduced budget, because that's what we had to do when we flew out for the Allied minor, um, for the quals. We had to fly ourselves out there, and then we got reimbursed. So that's you know, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I I I offered to do that. Maybe that was a bad thing to offer, but I thought it was fine given the fact that that's exactly how the calls have worked anyway, and that they were going to reimburse me. Maybe there was some way you could have misconstrued that conversation, but that that has nothing to do with the major. So I don't I don't really know where they got that impression. So anyway, like I had a I had a big thing about you know wanting to dispel that rumor and i talked to blue you know the na caster and i basically asked him about you know what how much money should we be asking for here as casters you know for like a day rate you know so we had a good conversation about that and he kind of argued a bit for us as well about getting a rate and then eventually we settled on a rate between us and oga and you know i like to think it was a pretty good rate um 
just before I went out there to cast the closed qualifiers for, for OGA, I casted Premiership. So Demo and Fluke went out there ahead of me. They did the first few days of it, and then I joined them for the rest of it. And then Fluke went home early and me Demo did the finals. And that was in October. And it was a great opportunity to like try and you know get to know the teams and stuff like that and like talk to the teams a lot. I really love Croatia. I love spending time out there. To be honest, like the first OGA season I did, right, we we went out there and I don't know if people remember, this was so long ago. This was like well like May of twenty eighteen, but the patch that came out that, that season got delayed. Or, like, the patch came out and then Pro League got delayed, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was it, right? So the patch comes out, new patch comes out, and then, bam, Pro League gets delayed, like, a, like two weeks for a hotfix to come out. Because, like, the game was just so broken. So OGA decided to postpone the entire tournament by one week. But I was already in Croatia, so I had nothing to do. <laughs> so I just walked around Croatia for, for a week. It was great. It was like a holiday. All I did was just like watch FODs and then just chill in Croatia. It was good. That's awesome. And the apartment they got me was was super nice. It was just me and then Medics joined me later because Medics casted the first OGA season. And you know, that whole experience was amazing because I went out there on a massive whim because I had no idea who OGA was. And uh, and yeah, it was great. Uh, something also to note of that, Panky was asked to do this as well. And so with all the other CCS casters, like X was asked to do it, Ace of Pirate was asked to do it, I think Desichi was asked to do it, maybe Netflix as well? I'm not sure. Like, a bunch of the guys who were casting CCS Season 3, basically, were asked to go out and do OGA, but I was the only person who had, like, that much time that I could take off of, like, three weeks to go out to Croatia and cast. Um. So, yeah, I took it. Um, so, you know, that whole experience was like, you know, I had so much faith in OGA after that, and that's why I kept coming back, and that's why they kept relying on me. So, by the time that it comes to the LAN, I have loads of faith in OGA, and I'm like, I really want to fight for these guys. I want to make sure they have a really good LAN. So, in the lead up to LAN, I'm talking to them loads. They're talking to me about, you know, they're doing it at the Radisson Blue, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is sick. So, yeah, you know, we're getting all hyped up for it. I'm talking to the players a lot about, you know, their expectations for the LAN. Um, they asked me to come up with a long list of questions for like um they were gonna play I don't know if you watched OGA that much, but like between the matches they played these interviews with players. And a I came up with the questions for those interviews. That's I awesome. I, yeah, I do remember that. But uh but I came up with the questions for all of them. And uh yeah. I remember talking to Panics loads as well actually about that tournament and uh in the lead up to it as well. And that's why I really want to cast uh, BDS versus Liquid because I talk to both of those teams a lot. I talk to Silence still a lot. Silence is uh, Silence is a great guy. I have no idea why, but Silence like talks to me loads. You know, like uh, every time I see him in an event, he's always talking to me about stuff. So like, I think Silence is great to be honest. Uh, the coach for Liquid. So you know, he's a he's a really cool guy, and uh, we talked a lot about. Like, like Liquid's strategy going in and like what Liquid were thinking about it and you know I remember having a great conversation with him about his um his anticipation for the tournament and I will say Silence got every single score correctly he knew exactly what maps everyone was going to go to and he knew exactly what the scoreline was going to be that's awesome 
and I have no idea how he knew it, but he's like the prediction god. I mean, they went up. Uh, to, they went to win OGA as well, right? <laughs> yeah, they they won. They won OGA. Like uh, Liquid were really on it, and um, the that's why I insisted on casting BDS versus Liquid because I knew it was going to be a really good game. Like you have so many storylines there as well as like Sha- you know Shiko versus Pala and stuff like that versus Nesk, right? And How- uh, and that was a it was an amazing game. How was the process of picking maps and picking like who gets to cast what for OGA? Because I've heard like um, in different so organizations, it's like different process. So at OGA, the the tournament organizers were more bothered about putting on a good tournament rather than sorting out bickering between casters. So we were kind of just expected to sort everything out ourselves, which was fine. You know, we got to do everything in the hotel. It was very chilled OGA the event because. Um, the whole event was in the hotel, right? So every team had their own like little conference room where they had all their PCs and they could have like a whiteboard in there and stuff like that to talk about the games. Um, and it was sick, you know? So like we could go down there and we could talk to the players anytime possible and then they would just like a short walk away from the stage. So it was a very, very chilled event. We had some internet issues the first day that we were there. But everyone had like a day of boot camp basically before the event started, which was cool. And it was also a good opportunity to like talk to the players and stuff before the event started. Because we got there on the Thursday and the event started on uh wait, did we get there on Thursday? No, no, we got there on the Wednesday night. And then we had Thursday to prep and chill, and then the event started, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it was chilled. Wait, no, 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 that's not what happened at all. Because I remember, yeah, it was a two-day LAN, right? So it was yeah, only Saturday. It was Sunday. from the sixth yeah. to the to the. So eight, yeah, we got there on we got there and uh, we got there on Thursday, and then we had a chilled day on Friday, and then and then yeah, it was a two-day LAN. How do you think your casting was at that LAN? Reflecting um, back so, on that. So so we got there, and you know the casters kind of like said, you know, this is what we're gonna do. Um. Me, Hap, Luke, Ace of Pirate, Dez, uh, you know, we all met up and we were like, you know, what are we going to do for casting pairs? Uh, and demo, sorry. <laughs> I completely forgot demo. And and uh, we basically just took names out of a hat. And Ace of Pirate, he randomized it. And Ace and Desertru got put together. Demo and Fluke got put together. And me and Hap got put together. To be honest, looking back at it, don't really think it was randomized because those were actually very calculated pairs to be honest but i think it was fine i think it worked out fine i really wanted to cast with desert but i think ace did as well um and i don't think des really wanted to cast with me which you know is fine it's whatever um i don't know fluke and demo are a good uh are a good pair so they got to cast together um so yeah we, we just did it like that to be honest, I think Hap and me have a very similar style of casting, so it was kind of awkward to start with, because I never casted before with Hap, so I didn't really know where to take things. Actually, no, no, that's not true. I casted the Allied Miner calls with Hap, so it wasn't bad. But, um, you know, I I still like, I think our casting was very, very similar, because we're both ex-comp players, right, or ex-comp involved at least. And we think about the game very strategically, and we always want to talk about the strategy, which means we could have some really good conversations about it, 
um but also we were like talking about the same stuff a lot of the time yeah which sometimes made it very awkward yeah that can be awkward for sure uh and i know that we weren't at the time both strong shoutcasters i was often introducing the show but we kind of went back and forth with it a bit i thought my casting was okay at oga but i was always my confidence was always knocked a bit by that because I, i i didn't really i wasn't very used to casting with hap right and I found that duo kind of awkward, to be honest. Uh, not that I'm blaming Hap or anything. Hap is a good caster, right? Or else he wouldn't be doing EU League now. But I think it was more about me that my confidence got knocked a bit, and that's that affected my casting a lot. That's totally fair. Um, so how was like the end of the tournament then? With the win, did you stay in Croatia for a bit more? So while I was at OGA, I was talking to the OGA guys, and I basically got told that I'm never doing another LAN again after this, basically. Wait, what? <laughs> and um, not by OGA, but because of Ubisoft, right, about this blacklist that I talked about before. And to be honest, I was really upset, because <laughs> I put my heart into casting for like the last three years. And basically, I'd just been told that because of this small mistake that I made, that it was over for me, you know, and that that's it, no, no more lands. And I, I said to the Ubisoft rep that was there, and I said, you know, I'm sorry about about being unprofessional. I shouldn't have tweeted. It. I, I I took down the tweet and everything like that, and uh, I shouldn't have tweeted anything about that. I said some pretty unprofessional things, but nothing that I said was wrong. And to my surprise, he agreed with me, and he said that the uh, the NA Challenge League was kind of kind of weird how they did things over there. Um, so, you know, I thought that was the end of it, but apparently not. And afterwards I, I came home and I, and I realized that that wasn't it. And the OGA guys actually warned me of it. And they said that Ubisoft didn't want me at OGA because of the Twitlonger stuff, but that the OGA guys fought for me and they said that they wanted to do the tournament with me and that I helped a lot. So, you know, I'll always fight for OGA because of that, because they fought for me. Um, so we get to the end of the tournament, right? I casted a couple of the games the next day. I thought the desk hosting was super weird at OGA, to be honest. Like, because we got a couch, and I thought we were going to have, like, a standing desk. Like, because uh, when, when I did Premiership, we got to stand up behind a desk to do the analyst desk. And I found that great. I found, honestly, that was, like, my favorite desk to do. And we got to talk about, like, you know, the map bands and stuff like that. Like, that was great. But, um, yeah, it was kind of strange, honestly, at OGA, the way that we swapped things around. But Dezju was great. He, uh, he really led the casting team on that because, like, they, he, he kind of explained how the analyst segments would go and what we would do on the desk. And he said that, you know, be one host and there'd be two analysts there and that we would swap around like that. And we, he made a whole schedule for us and everything like that. And then, we would sit down at breakfast and lunch every day to talk about storylines and talk about what we wanted to talk about on the analyst desk, you know. All of the analyst desks at OGA were meticulously planned like that. Awesome. It was really well done. Like, you know, as I said, like, big again, like, shower to, to Ace and to Desertube for their prep and for their kind of being super organized with that. Because, I mean, you can see that Desertube really does have that skill. He really is a really good presenter. So, and he took, and him and Ace put a lot of work into it. So, you know, 
I'm not never surprised that Desertu has so much success in casting because of it, or that him and Ace of Pirate got to chose to go to the Invitational because I think they're great casters, and they put a lot of work in. Yeah, I'm definitely really happy for him as well. Like I've I've paid attention to his cast and like I've I've loved it. I think some of his opinions on <laughs> certain things are I think arguable, but I I definitely respect him as I a think... caster. You know, he'll always start a conversation, right? Even if it's fucking stupid ass conversation, yeah, about callouts and stuff like that. That which is a hill he'll apparently die on. But um, you know, he's he's still willing to have a conversation, and he's also willing to admit when he's wrong. I think so too. Which is which is good. I think we need more of that in Siege. We we need more of uh wanting to talk about stuff. You know, I for example, right? I mentioned on Twitter about the reload canceling. A lot of people got mad at me. I'm like. You know, or, or uh, a lot of people were making this argument about, oh, there's more important stuff to talk about. And it's like, yeah, sure, there's a lot of like other problems in Siege, but that doesn't mean we can talk. We can't talk about other stuff. <laughs> like, well, you just want me to keep mentioning the same things over and over again? Well, for the viewers, what is, what was your opinion on viewer um, reload canceling? I think that it's uh, that it's not good. I think that it should be removed. Because uh, like about here's it. the thing, right? Um. For example, right? Say if you're a smoke, right, or something, and you're constantly trying to like online some guy. Lycan made this exact point actually, and I really agreed with it. You're like a smoke, right, and you're trying to like sit back cocktails and like that, and you're like pre-firing some corner, trying to online someone, right? You know, you're just trying to get the peaker's advantage constantly. Then you can reload, and you know you're safe to reload because even if he pushes you, you can just shoot him, even if you're in the middle of the reload animation. So there's basically zero risk for for doing for playing like that playstyle always. I think that being able to aim in and that cancels the reload is really dumb. But sprinting, that's fine. I think sprinting to cancel your reload animation, that's that's completely fine. But uh, I think the ADS thing is is dumb. I don't think it makes any sense, especially in a tactical game like Siege. And people are like, oh, it's such a nitty pity thing, you know, and like, yeah, but it's like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say it's not, <laughs> you know, but like it's still, it's still, it's still a thing that exists in Siege that I think shouldn't exist. I think I shouldn't be crucified for saying that, you know. I think uh, maybe that's a problem with online stuff overall. It's very impersonal, right? So, and also, you know, generally, people take their, you know, opinion and they attach their personality to it. So if someone disagrees with them on their opinion, it's like an attack on their personality. Or attack on them, or what they stand for. Yeah, that's Whereas, fair. In reality, it's not really how it works, right? Like your opinion is just—it's just something you think about. It's something you should be able to change. Well, so here's how I see it, right? Because I think a lot of people refer to that as like a COD mechanic, but even current COD games don't have that mechanic anymore. And I think that's like yeah, important. But, like but we still do. Yeah, like I think people just don't like they underestimate how much they rely on that mechanic. Especially with the online meta, like talking about like onlining someone, do you understand how much we like players like rely on you know the fact that they can just cancel the reload at any time? Like I thought about that tweet when when you posted it, and I reflected on it. I'm like, yeah, we actually like use this a lot, like a lot more than we probably should. But like, yeah, I could see why like people like lost their minds over that. <laughs> Right, but I think like people just weren't thinking about it, right? Or they just thought, "Oh, it's such a stupid conversation. Like, why are we having this?" So, um, you know, like I like that Desertu will put out his opinion like that. He doesn't care if it's right or wrong. He just wants to have a conversation about the game. 
And I think we need more people like that. Like, that is exactly the kind of guy who should be casting Pro League. I think that's so, totally fair. So, yeah, Desert 2, he, he led a lot of the analyst tests and stuff like that, and the casting OGA was good. Um, basically, we we went to the OGA guys, and we said, you know, who's casting the final, right? Because it's kind of up to you guys. Uh, and we flipped a coin for it in the end. We just said, you know, who's, you know, I think it's unfair to, like, just randomly say this person's doing the final. So flipped a coin, and Demo and Fluke got it. And I kind of agreed. I said, like, you know, Demo and Fluke have been, have been really good casters. Obviously, I was a bit upset. Because I wanted to do the final, like like any any caster. If any caster goes out there and says, "Oh, I'm really happy for the other people doing the final," no, fuck that. I wanted to do the final. Obviously, I wanted to do the final. Obviously, every other caster wants to do the final, right? So I shouldn't I shouldn't feel guilty for saying that. No, you know? I don't think so. Obviously, obviously, I've been upset, but it's like it's not like they don't deserve to do it. But I would have liked to do it, right? So, and but we flipped a coin for it, and it's just you know it's just a chance at that point, so it's fine. Um, so yeah, they did the final, and to be honest, during the final, I paid less attention to the final, and I kind of just reflected a lot on the year, and kind of just thought about what exactly is it that I wanted to do. Because at this point, I was like, well, I can't do casting anymore, you know? Uh, like, what am I supposed to do? Uh, so yeah. I decided that I was going to take a trip away and just kind of think about where what I want to do in Siege. Like, do I want to still try and do casting, even though Ubisoft apparently don't want me to cast anything? I thought about a lot is like, should I try and start an org? Should I just leave esports altogether? So I did a lot of thinking during the final, during the after party. I talked to a lot of the OGA guys and I talked to, you know, just everyone, basically. Um, I had a really good conversation with Fabian as well, actually, at the after party. Um, I'm not gonna like divulge because obviously Fabian's in a good position, right, and everything. So, but I just had a good conversation with him, and he's a really smart guy, right? So it was good, and you know, I I I thought about it, and I realized that you know, I don't want to leave the game because I actually really enjoy the game, but I still want to be involved. If that's not casting, then I'll find something to do. Maybe I'll start an org, or I'll you know, I'll just do something. So I went away. Um, I went to America for a bit. Um, I saw some friends in Virginia. Um, I met with Suzaku as well. That was a fun experience in January of 2020, so at the start of this year. Um, and yeah, I just I just spent the you know start of that year kind of reflecting on OG and reflecting on the season and everything, and kind of thinking about what is it that I wanted to do. And your decision was? My decision was to coach. Because I've always thought that I, you know, I've, I have coached, obviously, in the past. I did Epsilon, and I, I coached uh, Disrupt Gaming. And while I didn't really, I mean, also, I did some analyst work for a Challenger League team in Season 10 of Challenger League. Um... But I didn't, I didn't stay with that team. I did... Uh, coaching work for them during the, their qualifier and during like for like their first game but then I, I left because I you know I was doing prep for OGA and stuff and I said that that was more important so so I left um I, and also to be honest I, w I wasn't really like comfortable with that team and I wasn't really comfortable with with where what I was doing as a coach either not like 
you know anything i was doing is like super immoral i was just like unsure of myself right is this like you know something that i actually want to do am i actually good at this so i went back to casting and then obviously with og and everything like that i came back to coaching i asked well dowie put out a post about looking for a coach for demise and i was still unsure about you know am i actually going to be casting am i coaching like what's going on here and then eventually uh you know i joined demise I think I just want to say really quick that like, like there's obviously a certain amount of people who've been blacklisted by Ubisoft. Like, it might seem like a cop out like decision to go to coaching, but like it really, when the like the you know the the main people in charge don't want you involved in doing things for their game, it's almost like you're hitting a brick wall, right? You can't really, like you can only do so much while trying to be a caster if they don't want you to cast. Right, and how many organizers could be like OGA where they could fight for you, and you know, like actually try to get you to still do events and stuff. So like, I I totally understand how that could be like a you know a really hard decision to make, or just you know to fight whether you still want to be involved in the game at that point. It's a hard choice to make because all of us get involved. I don't think anyone who was involved in this game in like twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. And I'm sure you can say the same, Arcane, right? That if you were involved in this game that early on, there is no way you were playing this for the money because at the most, people were getting paid like G Fuel Cups and that was it, and a hat maybe. So anyone who was involved in this game that early on and still continues to be, do it because they love the game. And they genuinely believe that Siege has the potential to be the best esports game in the world. And I do still genuinely believe that. So I didn't want to leave. I didn't care what Ubisoft says. If they said, oh, fuck Sternab and fuck everything that he's doing and fuck all of his projects, I don't care. I still find my way to be involved because I love the game. Yeah, like I, I totally agree with you. Like if, you're, if you've been doing it from that early, it's not really for the money. I think which is why I have respect for play, play, people like Finn who like you went to coaching, he went to playing. Like that shows that these people still love the game regardless of what they've been blacklisted for. And I think I, I'm not sure how I, like, I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like it's almost childish almost. I'm not sure. I don't want to, like, I don't have any bridges to burn, but it, it comes off childish to hear an organization take that stance from an opinion or from a tweet longer. Yes, like, maybe the tweet longer was, you know, not the most professional. Like, but, like, at the same time, yeah, I, I, the only word I have is childish when I think of that. <laughs> like, I try to think of it from their perspective as to why they would do it in a way, like, why, like, yes, maybe a tweet longer that blows up like that could hurt their, you know, online presence and how people see them. Um, but I think maybe just asking to retract your statement or anything would be better than just, like, cutting you off, like, completely. Yeah, and it's, that's all I wanted to say about it. I didn't really want to dwell on the topic, but yeah. Hmm. Um, coaching, and I think we were talking about demise. Well, let's let's quickly talk about the allied major, allied minor rather. Uh, allied minor, yeah. So, um, Captain Fluke says to me that he has a big opportunity, and he gets to choose some casters, and he wanted to get me along because I got him along for OGA, and uh, I said, yeah, great, sure, let's do it. Well, actually, no. First, I said, uh, no, I can't because I have a university exam. And he was like, okay, fine, whatever, I'll get someone else. 
and then about two hours later i said no fuck that fuck the university exam which you know looking back at it probably was not the best decision to make uh you know and i said fuck it i'm just gonna i'll come out to gym and i'll do it let's do it so yeah uh did the allied minor quals um allied uh like you know the allied esports guys were great amazing uh i remember it was so weird right so we had to fly ourselves out there um actually we should probably recap what actually happened with this minor in the first place it was the first minor of the year and i by power was supposed to be the guys who ran it but at the last second they pulled out for whatever reason or maybe you saw fire them i don't know and HyperX and Allied had to come in here and quickly replace them. So, <laughs> uh, so everything was very, very rushed for Allied. Like they had to get the casters in and then quickly fly them out and do their studio setup. But to be honest, with everything and how quickly they tried to get everything set up, I don't know if people remember the studio, but the studio was great. They had all these props and stuff like that, and uh, uh, you know, they had like the bomb prop a little consulate lounge they had set up for the analyst desk like uh that that was great fun to be honest and they had like the massive wall of guns from rainbow like uh i had a lot of fun with the allied uh minor calls and uh you know it was an all-day event that happened so it was like uh i think it was three open calls and there was one spot per region i remember or maybe two i'm not sure and yeah like we just got to casting and uh i think it was it was pretty fun to be honest. Like the Allied Minor guys were were really funny guys to talk to, and uh, yeah, like Allied Minor was great. So then, you know, we do the qualifier. It's me, Captain Fluke, and Hap. What happens is that because they didn't have time to like get an R six observer, they made whoever wasn't casting whoever's on a break essentially to go and observe, which I didn't mind doing to be honest. And actually, Sewer messaged me and he said yeah whoever was observing that last game was great and i was like hey i was observing that last game so that was funny and yeah like uh the odd minor was was fun L looking back at it i think the observer thing was a bit dumb but considering that observers normally get made to work six hours in a row i think it wasn't that bad to be honest i, I think like normally when medics does it like he's doing all of the games is he whereas the casters they they come on and off right what was different about the observers of the odd minor it they was just... the casters who were doing it. Oh, casters were observing and casting? Yeah. So so there was three casters, me, Captain Fluke, and Hap. And whichever one of us wasn't casting was the one who was observing. I think uh, when you're an ESL community caster, you kind of like do that right as well. Like you sort of Yeah, to... which is why I had, a lot of, I had a lot of experience with observing. So How much of a challenge is that? Fine for me. It, like, I had great fun it. with it, to be honest. I like observing, to be honest. I... I thought it was great fun. I got a lot of positive feedback from it as well. And, you know, it was great. It was pretty chill, to be honest. I haven't done it before, but I find that it's probably, like, that's, like, half your concentration is, all right, let me find this spot where this is going on and let me talk about it at the same time. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously, if you're, like, observing and you're casting, sure. But if you're just observing, then, you know, half of it is trying to show the casters something to talk about, and the other half is listening to the casters and trying to follow their storyline. Yeah, I always had a hunch that, like, obviously there was, they were probably listening. I think I noticed that in Pro League as well, when Kixon and Tara would be like, hey, can you show us this? And then they would, you know, show that. And I think it's always cool to see that synergy between the observers and the casters. 
like when it's there it, it's always awesome because like if the casters talk about a certain spot or area or where someone died and why they died there like the observers could just like pan over there and show and highlight that like it's always cool i think to see you know like that connection or an observer just building off what the casters are saying like as well but that's awesome to know that Isle of Minor was like yeah a good experience uh so so yeah so that was the qualifier right so then we talked to the like the literal head of allied esports was there or like the head of like because it's actually an american company right but like the head of the europe division of it anyway he was there and i was talking to him or like we all talked to him after and we said like yeah hey you know who's casting the liner like uh, you know i don't want to like say anything but it's it's pretty soon it's in like two weeks you know so if we're going to be casting it or if you're going to get some american casters like you need to say something now basically and he said that, yeah, we normally do stick with the same guys, right? So I was like, oh, great news. You know, I'll probably be casting the, the LAN as well. Like, that's amazing. Uh, and, you know, suffice to say, we were not casting the LAN. I don't know if people remember watching that LAN, but the first day of it, there was this guy, uh, Rob, and he was a terrible caster. Was it the like, guy that casted with Veli? Yeah. Who we'd never seen before? Yeah, I do remember that. Never seen him before. He clearly did not do his research. He knew absolutely nothing about the game. He went in there and just started screaming, and he was a really, like, I don't say that very often, because I think a lot of casters do put a lot of effort in, and when, even if they don't, or even if they, you know, don't come off like they do, they at least have, like, a pretty good voice for it, but this guy was was not good. Maybe he was a good, like, Gears caster or something, I don't know, but apparently he had some connections with Allied and something, and, I mean, he, I mean, it was very obvious to everyone that he was a bad caster. And he very quickly got removed after the first day anyway, so. But, uh, wow, yeah. He was not good. And I was absolutely amazed that, so, I was worse than this guy? You know? That kind of thing? I was, uh, it was insulting, to be honest, a little bit. I think I never really saw it as the fact that, like, like you were worse, but just the fact that Whatever connection got him there, like it was obvious that couldn't even hold him there for that long. Like it was obviously yeah, a no, connection thing. True. I thought maybe he, I felt like maybe he came off because Veli and like I don't know there was sort of a connection there with Alec Minor, but like Gears or just Vegas, I guess. No, I think he had like a good. Well, I mean, I went to when we went to the major. I talked to some Ubisoft guys there, and they told me that basically they had been told by their boss to just let allied do their own thing so that's why allied had like a really out of date rule book and i don't know if you remember but the qualifiers they originally asked for uh two maps to be removed from the pool because they were hardly ever played villa and i think cafe at the time i'm not I sure remember maybe that map. i do remember that that was outrageous to hear even as a player and i was like i was like what the hell is going on and they like changed a bunch of the times and stuff like action phase was like two minutes or something like that to try and speed up the games and i was like what is happening <laughs> you know and it was like first to five rounds and then everyone was getting such an uppity vibe well you know that's why that's why because ubisoft didn't give them anything because they were told not to so yeah um anyway and then i was told that ubisoft had given them a big list of casters and that i was on that list uh and they just decided ally just decided to not even listen to ubisoft whatsoever not take any of their advice and just do their own thing so that was cool and yeah, so, uh, 
yeah, just like going through the Isle of Minor and I was just watching it thinking, wow, what a disaster. I remember one of those Ubisoft guys actually messaging me during the Minor and asking me if I was in Vegas, if I was there. I don't know why he was asking me that. I was kind of hoping that he was asking me that because, you know, maybe he knew I'd offered to fly myself out there and maybe if I was willing to do that, maybe I was willing to just go to the Minor just anyway. And maybe if I was there that I would get an opportunity to do the spotlight. I heavily doubt it, but... You know, maybe he just wanted to meet up, I'm not sure. But, no, I wasn't there, so. But, yeah, crazy. Absolutely crazy <laughs> how that actually planned out and how Allied made such a mess out of that early stage. I mean, the production for Allied was amazing. I think we'd never had better production than that until that point. Like, it felt like an actual sports event. Yeah, that was... You know, it felt very... The production was really good felt very espn also the biggest thing i liked about it is that the casters on the analyst desk did not have headsets they used the little mics on the shirt instead do you prefer that as a caster or someone who's casted that, before i think it's i think it works better as a viewer and as a caster it's much more comfortable to cast like to well not to cast like that because if you cast you need like actual in-game audio right but if you're on an analyst desk you're just you're chilled you know you're just talking about the game and it very much came off like that. They they were just sat around on some couches, you know. They were just chilling. They were just chang, you know. Or was it couches? Yeah, I had like an actual desk, didn't they? Actually, um, I like the standing desk. I think the standing desk works. Um, you know, some way we can have like at your actual notes out, but you're standing up, so you can articulate yourself a little bit better. So yeah, you know, I thought all the production stuff for Allied was great except from their choice of caster and a lot of the things they were messing up in the rules. Like I remember uh, Super was talking about, I think it was Super, how Skies had to set up the settings for one of the matches because the observers had no idea what they were doing and stuff like that. But you got to know, like a lot of the stuff was, was pretty good for it. Like um, maybe one of the biggest issues with the minor system and maybe why they scrapped it is because all the teams had to fly themselves out there and stuff. I wasn't even from. I wasn't even like. I didn't even know that was the case. That's so okay. Yeah. So so there were four miners last year, right? There was Allied, Dreamhacks, two Dreamhacks, and then there was OGA. So at Allied, all the teams had to fly themselves out except the teams who got who qualified. The three teams who qualified, uh, which I think was. What would become Rogue? I can't. What were they called at the time? It was like that other org they had in between Rogue and um, and Giants. This is gonna. Uh, let's stream. No. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, yeah. Let's stream. Yeah. Let's stream. Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah, that's when they were the stream. Uh, no, that was before Giants, wasn't it? I think they had they the stream dropped them and then they got picked up by Giants and then Giants dropped them and they got picked up by Rogue, right? And that's how we went. I think so too. I can check that out. But you talking? So so yeah. So the stream qualify for EU. SSG qualify for NA. Um, I think Team One qualify through LATAM. I'm not sure who qualified through LATAM, but yeah. So all of those guys got a five thousand dollars to basically to go right. Um, they got five thousand dollars in like um like transport which if anyone's ever tried to organize transport for an esports team they know five thousand dollars is not enough to pay for like transport food and accommodation there is no way you're getting your entire team out there for that much but you know it helps 
uh, OGA, however, all of the teams got paid for for their flights, and all of the teams got their own hotel room and everything like that. The only issue is that, unlike the miners, the other miners, the Dreamhacks and Allied, there was only eight teams at OGA, whereas there were 16 teams at the others. But everyone who went to OGA had to earn their place there. They had to qualify through the course qualifiers. Oh, yeah, it was the stream. Yeah. That could be, yeah, That I, if teams had to fly up by themselves, and that could actually be weird. Because especially in the, in the Allied Minor event, we had a lot of, like, low-tier teams as well. Mm. But, yeah, but if you remember, like, this, this was a big issue because the, it was an invite system, right? And uh, the only reason that Team Secret was there is because Allied didn't know the distinguishment between Pro League and Challenger League. So they were just like, first oh, when Team serve. Secret... Yeah, they just said first come, first serve to Challenger League and Pro League teams, and Team Secret managed to get that spot in. If they were... Because normally how it works with the DreamHacks is that the Pro League... Well, how it used to work with the DreamHacks, right? Is that the Pro League guys would say, we want to we wanna go, and they would have to submit their travel information. And then the Challenger League teams would get to submit their information afterwards. So if it had been like that for the Allied Miner, I don't think that Team Seems Secret would have been there. And because obviously obviously they won the whole Miner, so things could have been very different. Yeah, and I'll be on the podcast a while ago, and yeah, he he said they got blessed. <laughs> yeah, they did get blessed, for sure. But um, but this was always my biggest issue with the invite system, and I am I, so glad that OGA, I don't know if they if they listened to me if it was something that I said, or if it was something that, you know, they decided on their own, but they decided not to do any invites and to only do qualifiers, but if the guys qualified, then they got, you know, a free ticket there. I think that's how it worked. I think so, too. Oh, no, no, sorry. They didn't get paid uh, transport, but they got free accommodation and free food, right? Like, they got free food at but I'm pretty sure they had to fly themselves out there, but there was, like, a shuttle service and everything like that, so, like, OGA drove a bus up to the airport, and they just got everyone on board who came on a bunch of flights, and they took them back and everything like that. SSG had a horrible time trying to get to OGA, I remember. Oh, so bad about like their they experience. Had, they, like, they had to come in through Turkey or something, and they got held up in Turkey, and they had to change a bunch of flights, and a bunch of flights got delayed, and... I remember it being an absolute mess for them trying to actually get to OGA. That is the worst. Um, <laughs> but I remember OGA wanted to make it the prize pool so that it was, um, you know, enough to cover the flights if a team did finish last, right? Yeah, I think it was uh, a total of seventy-five k as well. So like, it, yeah, it was a seventy-five k prize pool. But if you finished fifth to eighth, you got four thousand dollars. Okay, that would help so, compensate the organizations who got gonna, first round. It's gonna alleviate that blow, yeah, yeah for sure. Because first place only got thirty thousand dollars, which if anyone's been to a minor, they know that you normally get half the prize pool if you win the minor. That's fair. I think that can be seen as controversial in a way, but like I actually like that. Yeah, I do like it as well, for sure, for sure. I like it. So yeah, those were all decisions that OGA tried to make, and I thought this for those reasons that OGA not only. One of the spies TOs to come through, but also, you know, just uh, just decent, decent guys. Awesome. All right, let's let's head into this coaching career and let's talk about demise and let's just talk about how you move from demise to the other teams after that. Where do we start? So, so yeah, I came back from America. 
eventually. I don't know if you remember, but when I was there, I lost my passport. And I had to go to the I had to go to the British Embassy to get my passport back. Yeah, was, do you remember uh, that? <laughs> really it, unfortunate. It was a very upsetting experience when I realized that I lost my passport. But then it was actually quite chilled because I was like, you know, it's not like I'm in a dangerous position. Like I have enough money where I can get a hotel for like three days and get a new flight and stuff like that. Like it wasn't you know, if I had no money, that was I was screwed for sure. But like um it was fine. It was fine. I wasn't worried. It was quite quite a fun experience, to be honest, looking back at it, because, you know, I got to go to the British Embassy. I got to go inside, like, into, like, the proper, like, offices and stuff, which was cool. Uh, there's a hell of a lot of security in the British Embassy. I will tell you that much. Yeah. In Washington. Um, and, yeah, like, it was, it was cool. I got an emergency passport, which is white and gold. And I, it really makes me want to get a white and gold passport, but they don't—you can't get a white and gold passport. They're only—you uh, can only get them if you're a diplomat or if you're on an emergency passport. White and gold sounds really sick. Yeah, it does. It does for sure. So, so yeah. So I joined Demise. Let me think. Uh, it would have been like early march of last year i think because we played the finals on the 21st of march uh because i i didn't join them at the start of the premiership i joined them like about two games in oh yeah yeah i remember so i didn't officially join them until a bit later but i did some analyst work for them for their game against enclave which they played on the 4th of march of this year so that's when i like to say like i started coaching device we beat enclave um enclave gaming which finished last uh we beat them 7-1 on clubhouse and then so i come in as officially as coach and we immediately play eminem <laughs> so you can see how uh that's a bit of a rough one to start with because eminem obviously we would actually win the whole season how was that game it was rough because we lost seven three on border. Um, I remember making a conscious decision to go to border because I said to the boys, like, you know, they're not going to do anything different from the from when they played invitational calls because I don't know if you remember, but Eminem had a really good run well, you had invitational calls. at the invitational calls. I was very impressed. Uh, they managed to bait BDS into thinking that they had gone basement as doing SSG room when in fact they had gone gym. So BDS decided to rush blue thinking that it was a downstairs. I still don't understand how people get baited in competitive. Well, I mean, it was a very it was a very small and very specific bait that I don't think would have worked against any other team, but BDS keep all their drones outside. Okay. If that's the case, so, then yeah. Because I feel like as an IGL, I always tend to tell people, or my entry, like, what site? Like, where is it? But the thing site? is, like, if you see... Because if you actually watch back that round of how Eminem do it, it's very, very smartly done by them, because... They're playing like Mozzie, Mew, all that guy, all that stuff, right? And if you drone into one of the drone halls, which BDS normally do, like from the bathroom on Clubhouse, you go in there and you see a mute and a Mozzie roaming, you're like immediately is SSG roaming, yeah, SSG right? Roam. Especially if they're opening up Moto Hatch. Like, why would you do that if you're not in, if you're not doing an SSG roam? Right? That's totally fair. Yeah. So you see that and you're like, yeah, it's downstairs. Let's do a blue rush, right? So yeah, they do a blue rush and it they're not down there. It's Jim. 
And BDS have no idea. They don't even realize it until like two minutes into the <laughs> round. Yeah. It took them a fat minute. So, so I go into this thinking like, you know, they're going to run the same strats, right? They're not going to care about this. They're preparing for Challenger League. Um, this is before they, this is actually the week before they get picked up by Crazy as well. So they're still under Eminem. Uh, so yeah. So yeah, we go through that. Um, we lose 7-3. Um, I think there was a couple of rounds we could have won. Uh, when I look at my stats, I always have like a strategic loss and a tactical loss. And I was like, yeah, a lot of rounds we did lose strategically and we would have lost this game. But I think there was a couple of rounds like we just lost them due to, you know, small mistakes. But I think, you know, 7-3, it was, it was still fine. Um, and I was like, you know, we can beat the rest of these guys easily. We can still make the finals, definitely. I uh, was a little bit worried about Secret, obviously, because they had just come off a really good run at the Invitational Calls as well. They had finished second in them, just just, just narrowly losing to best of, uh, best of five against BDS. So, so yeah, I was a little bit worried about Secret, but you know, I knew that with enough preparation, we can beat any team. And then the next week, Secret dropped out. They dropped out of Premiership. Um, I'm pretty sure it's because they didn't have enough UK players to play in the Premiership at that time, uh, because Farrell left, and Blaz would replace him, obviously. So while they were in that transition period, then they didn't play the Premiership. Uh, and then you know the rest of the Premiership, we kind of just did some basic strategy work. I I kind of tried to turn this team more into less of a you know heavy fragging do whatever team and trying to make them into an actual strategic team because they struggled a lot on maps like Villa and Cafe, you know, where you actually have to think and use your brain. So we tried to develop those. Um, but generally, I, I realized, like, our best maps are, like, Coastline, obviously, and, like, Clubhouse and stuff like that. And, and you know, the there was always a big conflict in that team, right? Because you had Joshua Glitch and Yuzus, who have really good players, and obviously Yuzus now plays for Eminem and is within one game of making Pro League. And Yuzus is a great player. I've always thought that Yuzus is a good player. Um, he's always very calm, you know? Uh, and he has a lot of, like, clutch potential, which can save you rounds, right? Um, it can alleviate mistakes in your strategy. And he did, he did really well in the Premiership season. Uh, he's a very, very solid player. And I'm happy to see that he's doing well as well. The next week we play Audacity, slap them, not a hard team to beat at that point. I don't think Audacity did much, much better in the next season, obviously. But uh, at that point, I don't think they were a very developed roster. They had like two guys, I think Zumi and um, who was the other guy? I think Ivy. They were good players, but other than that, I don't know. I don't think the rest of them were, were that amazing. I'm very surprised that Ivy didn't stay with that roster, to be honest. They kind of had a complete switch-up of that roster, and Zumi kind of let it through, and they did much, much better. Um, And then, yeah, March 12th, we played Burning Foxes. So Burning Foxes had managed to beat Secret in, like, the only game that they actually played in the Premiership. They beat them, uh, I think it was 7-3 on Cafe. And they were obviously very, very proud of this fact that they managed to beat Team Secret in a best of one. And, you know, we were saying to them they're not a bad team because they, they lost to Eminem, but they lost 7-5. It was a very close game on club. 
So we were thinking to ourselves, you know, Burning Foxes, they're going to be the team to beat if we want to finish top four, you know? Uh, we took them to Clubhouse. I did a lot of an analyst work on them, trying to, like, determine what they're going to do. I went into custom games of my own to try and do their setups, to try to find weaknesses and stuff. And we come to the game, and they change, like, almost everything they've done. And I was so surprised. Like, a lot of their attacks changed, a lot of their defenses changed, and it was insane. But we hit them with a Thatcher ban, which uh, they weren't expecting. Because we normally don't didn't ban Thatcher on uh, club, and we've been practicing with it. And yeah, they uh, they really didn't expect that one at all. So I think they they fell apart because of it. Their attacks fell apart a lot because they you could this this team was like one of those teams that put a lot of work into trying reworking themselves every week, but it meant they were inconsistent. So I think that's why we very narrowly won that game seven five, but it was the win that we needed to put ourselves on top. Uh, and then the final game that we played of that season was against Fierce, who were kind of our contenders for top two. Everyone expected Fierce to finish second. At this point, we had an even record that we both um, we both had five wins and one loss, both to the same teams. So it was basically whoever won this game went to second. If we tied, it wouldn't be good enough because they had a better round difference than us. So... We go into this game, we do a lot of prep for this game. I know that we're going to play Clubhouse against them, with the way that map bands go. And yeah, map bands come through, and yeah, that we play Clubhouse. And it was a rough game, because I remember we didn't have our full roster for that game. Um, I think that someone had work or something. I think it might have been Pat, who wasn't there. And I remember that Tyron, in one of the rounds, he's he hides behind the bar on a clubhouse basement defense. So we had Melons in instead as a uh, substitute player. Uh, and Melons is a good player and everything like that, but Pat is our IGL, and he was responsible for a lot of the kind of adaptation and stuff, which was one of our biggest strengths, is that you know they weren't like this super strategic team. They were all about kind of playing off of the moment and stuff like that, which it can work and we did make it work on a lot of rounds, but without Pat being there, I think a lot of the a lot of the impact of that was gone. Uh, Harris took up and Dowie took up uh, IGL, and they're good players, they're they're good solid, they guys and know what they're talking about, but it just wasn't good enough and we, we went 6-6. There was actually um, there was actually a funny thing about that because during one of the rounds where we were defending that we would actually lose, we had Harris play a alibi, I think, maybe a mozzie. I think it was a mozzie, actually, yeah. It was a mozzie. He was playing downstairs in stock, and Shermie as a book comes through the stock door and kills him. But from Harris's perspective, the door had opened, Shermie had stood in the door, and tanked a full magazine from Harris, and then Shermie had just killed him. Because the game had lagged back when there was a barricade bug. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I remember that. So, and I was watching that, and I was like, what the hell is this game? We just lost a round because of that, and the game was 6-6. So because of this, because we finished 6-6, we finished third in the regular season. And I was like, that's ridiculous. So, you know, it was whatever, and we moved on, and we were like, so how it works in Premiership is if you don't finish top two, then you go into playoffs. The top two guys get invited to the LAN. And then the third team plays the sixth team for a land spot, and the fourth team plays the fifth team. So it was us versus Audacity, who I was very confident against. 
and it was Kiwana Gaming against Randy's. Uh, Kiwana Gaming picked up uh, Burning Foxes. And, you know, I always thought, yo, Kiwana is going to win that game for sure. Uh, we just need to make sure we uh, we win our game as well. Uh, the only unfortunate thing, well, actually, the very fortunate thing is that if we win our game, then we finish um, we finish with third seed, which means we would go against Fierce in the finals, which I was fine. I was fine with that. I was like, yeah, bring it on. Bring on the rematch, because I know with Pat, we could easily beat those guys. Um, so I'm like, all we have to do is just beat Audacity. So we did a bit of review, and we were like, okay, we're going to play Clubhouse, and, uh, and we'll just play Coastline if they don't ban it. And they, they didn't ban it, because I think they auto-banned one of the map. I can't remember what map they banned, but they normally had like a map that they always banned. Uh, so I knew we were going to we needed to pick up Coastline. I know Coastline is by far our best map. They surprised us a lot on how good they were at Clubhouse, I remember. I remember also we had to play with a substitute. Uh, Melons played again. I can't remember who we substituted in for. Let me think. Um, I know that Pat played in that game. I think Melons substituted in for... Uh, I think. I think he might have substituted in for Joshua Butch. No, 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 he didn't. Who did he substitute in for? Uh, was it Dowie? Yeah, it was Dowie. I think Dowie had work, so... Melons as a substitute in, which you know sucks. Again, playing another under the game was a substitute, but Pat was there, and that made it a lot easier. And we eventually clinch out uh, Clubhouse eight six, and then we you know we just railed them on Coastline seven three. So now we're in playoffs. Now we're at the finals, and we get told because of the coronavirus that LAN is going to be cancelled, which was annoying. Because this was March 21st, right? And the finals were on March 28th, I think. Yeah. So it was a week before the finals, and then bam, we get told there's no there's no finals. Uh, I think actually we got told earlier than that. So yeah, we're we're leading up in the prep for the finals, and we think that Fierce, you know, is gonna pick Cafe against us, because we always ban Cafe, um, and Villa in the regular season. We never play them, and you know it's just super obvious that we don't play these maps. So that I'm like, yeah, okay, they're probably gonna pick one of these maps. So I think we're like, we're gonna prep, we're gonna prep for cafe, right? And we're gonna like counter strat them. I think we had this idea of banning castle on cafe to kind of um, remove a lot of their setups that they did, and that you know we'll be ready for them if they pick cafe. Um, that doesn't happen. Instead, they pick Clubhouse, which I was absolutely surprised by. I was like, why the hell would they take us to Clubhouse? And yeah, so we had a, an insane rematch on Clubhouse. They were up 5-1 in the first half. We came back 5-1 in the second half, and then we beat them in overtime. Because we got defense no OT. And then we win 7-5 on Consulate, which is also like one of our best maps as well. So... Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing Consulate's a really game. good map to for that kind of team. Yeah, to go crazy on for sure, for sure. So then we came to crazy, and I will tell you the first thing about this game: the guys go into this with an awful mentality. Maybe that was also on me as well, but I always said throughout that we could we can beat crazy, we can easily beat crazy, and I don't know why. Uh, and I remember talking to Pat about this afterwards, and he agreed with me. But like for some reason. 
the people on his team got into their heads that they could not be crazy, that they were just too much better than them, that they were a CL team, that they're they're good. And I was like, no, not at all. Like, yes, they have a good CL run. Yes, they're a solid team, but they are easily beatable. Every team is beatable. You just got to know where to look. Um, I didn't do as much prep work for this game because I didn't actually think that. Um, well, actually, no. I thought we were going to win against Fizz, and I knew that Crazy was going to be Kiwana, but um, there was a huge concentration on beating Fizz. So I did all my review trying to improve our villa and improve our cafe for this game against uh, Crazy. And, you know, we, we dropped 2 0. And uh, we, we picked Cosine as our first back against them. Uh, they banned Bank because this was a weird place where Bank was removed from the comp pool. But he was still in the Premiership comp pool for some reason, so they would ban Bank every round because obviously they're prepping for CL. They don't want to play any. They don't want to play any Bank. That's totally fair. Yeah, that makes sense. So they ban Bank. Uh, we ban Villa. It was basically like they know we don't play Cafe or Villa, so they're going to pick whatever map we don't ban. Uh, I made a very maybe short decision to ban Villa instead of Cafe because I said you know we've been prepping Cafe a lot. Uh, but to be honest, it it really came down to pushing this to the decider because the decider was border, and our first map pick obviously was coastline, our strongest map. And we played the most defender sided coastline I've ever seen in my life. They go, uh, we go up five one on our defense, on the coastline, and then they go up five one on their defense, and we go to OT, and no one wins an attack in OT. Everyone wins defenses, and they win eight seven. Uh, and I remember that for some reason, and I think this was a really stupid rule, and I don't think it's like this anymore, but for some reason in the Premiership, if you pick to go attack first, that meant you start defense in OT. And I don't know why. Because normally what it's like is that one side picks the map, right? Then the other side gets to pick what starting side they are, and then the Guys who pick the map get to start their get to pick their starting side in OT. But it wasn't like that in Premiership, and I don't know why. That's really weird. So when we went to Cafe, I opted to start attack because we would get defense in OT. Um like, you know, why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> you know? Uh but obviously, you know, we don't uh we win I think one attack on Cafe and then we just get destroyed seven one. We don't win any of our defenses. And yeah, that was it. We got 2 0'd. And I was devastated. Um, not because we'd lost, but that because I knew I could have done way more prep for this game and that I let myself down more than anything. And I let the guys down. I was really upset with myself because of it, to be honest. And I told myself, you know, like next time I'm in this position, I'm gonna do you know, I'm gonna work twice as hard and we're gonna make it. So before this, on the twenty fourth of March or maybe I think a little bit before that, um, I was playing some uh, Call of Duty, uh, whatever the latest one, Modern Warfare was, mm -hmm. right? And we played um, some of the, the thing in that, the Battle Royale, I can't remember what it's called. Warzone? Yeah, we played some Warzone, right? And I was playing with a friend, and she invited Leonski. And I was talking to Leonski, and I was saying, I said to him that I didn't really plan to coach Demise after this after this season. Um, 
you know, I was just coaching as a one-off because I didn't know what I was going to do in the siege scene yet. So I was just coaching Demise while I, while I figured things out. And he was like, you know, we're looking for a coach. I was like, oh, really? So then he invited me to do a trial. And then he said that he really liked, you know, what I was talking about in the trial. He had a little bit of feedback that, you know, some of the things that I said he didn't like. But other than that, like, it was it was good. It was a good trial. The guys liked me. So I was like, and he was like, do you want to join the team? I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I, like, let me finish out the season and then we'll do it. And that was on the 24th of March. And I want to clarify something now. When that happened, when I joined that team, I told Leon Gids that we died was joining that team. I DM'd him. I said that I was joining. And I told him because we had a scrim against Secret on the 26th. And they didn't cancel that scrim, despite the fact that he knew what team I was joining and he already knew the CL schedule that we would play them first. So, yeah, they already knew that I was coaching and they still wanted to scrim. So before anyone starts drama about that again, they 100% knew. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, then I then I leave demise pretty much immediately, and uh, I start screaming with the boys who I'm with now. All right, let's talk about the journey with the boys. Then I'd like I'd like to talk about a lot of like different side of coaching with this particular team, though, because I think I'm very familiar with like I, I tried to get as familiar as I could with like the games they played, but sort of like the transition of the roster and where it's where it is at now. If we can start there. And like sort of challenge, like the challenge of coaching these type of personalities compared to every other team you've been on. Yeah. So obviously, I'm still in this team, so I'm not gonna say like everything. Yeah. Um, but I will say that um, when I joined the team, it had a very similar playstyle to Demise, where we relied a lot on. We didn't have like a lot of solid strategy. We just kind of relied on you know bumping around, and just uh. And just playing off of instinct, which is fine. I think you can play like that. Um, I often compare it to chess because in chess there is actually a lot of very successful instinct players. Um, I think there's certain strengths and weaknesses to playing like that, but I don't think it's a it's a bad playstyle. I know in NA teams it's very frowned upon to play in instinct, or very like you know you shouldn't do this. You should just like plan out your strats and stuff like that. Uh, I remember when I coached an NA team that we were heavily criticized for playing on instinct and that for example right we would play a scrum against a pro team and we would counter strat right we would counter strat their setup to practice counter stratting and they would get upset say you shouldn't be counter stratting in the scrim you should be playing the game playing your attack normally how you'd normally do it and i was like that's dumb why would why would we do that that's not how we're going to play in the real game why would we scrim like that uh, and they, you know, they had a big argument against us, and it was funny making NA pro teams upset. So yeah. Um, so we played off a lot of instinct, and I think a lot of that was because that was crying in next one. That was the way that they played, you know. Yeah. The problem is, is that it it made us very inconsistent. Like we would scrim, and we would just kind of do whatever, you know. Uh, like, we still had logic, you know, it wasn't like we were just jumping out windows everywhere, even though Crying did do that a lot. Um, you know, we're not playing like complete idiots, like, there is still logic, there is still, you know, it was, it reminded me a lot of how Secret played the game, right? The old Secret, right? 
how they used to like be very very aggressive very in your face but it wasn't like you know it was always informed it was always informed aggression and that was kind of our central concept that we did a lot of things very differently so yeah we come to the first cl game against secret and we pick coastline and immediately i'm getting dms from people who are looking at the map bands and saying why would you take why would you take secret to coastline why would you take secret to coastline what are you doing you're an idiot in scrims leading up to this game, we had a 90% win rate on coastline against pro teams. 90%. You know how hard it is to be that consistent in scrims against teams? I think especially in coastline, to be honest, because of how, like... Yeah. That's... And I knew going into this that we were the best coastline team in Challenger League by far. I knew we were the best. And I know that if anyone takes us to coastline, they will get destroyed. So I was like, hell yeah, I'm taking Secret to Coastline. I, it was a very, very close game, but ultimately we came up on top and we beat them 7-5. And Secret players want to blame a lot of things. They start talking on Reddit about North, uh, we're on North Europe servers. Feral makes a tweet saying um, about how I have, um, you know, how I have demise bots, right? So... Demise scrimmed Secret twice be in the lead up to Challenger League, right? Um, we did three maps on each of them, and uh, Feral claimed that this one VOD of, from, like, I think it was Users' perspective, had been viewed 18 times, which is way more than any of the other scrim VODs. And the reason for that was, is that I had, you know, wanted to there you go there that's the tweet so uh you know like it was just crazy because it, this whole thing was ridiculous because the whole reason why it was 18 views right is that i was reviewing those games in our preparation for fizz i'd already said uh earlier that we were preparing for Fizz. We wanted to take them to Villa or Cafe. And that our Villa was really, really bad at this point. And we played Villa both times against Secret. So, of course, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my due diligence, right? Like, I want to win. I want to look at our Villa. Like, what's going wrong here? So, that's why I viewed it so many times. But also, like, you know, I'm not going to forget. So, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? What What right decision was I supposed to make here, you know? Do you feel like they only just said those things because they were mad or just like... They were making excuses. I'm convinced they were making excuses, Arkane. And I think they still do. That, uh... I remember talking to Leon. I think that, that team was very divided on the excuses that they were making. You know, uh... I think Meepy's a cool guy and everything, but he made a tweet about me as well, and he said that oh, Sternab kept those demise vods. But I'll be honest with you, I mean, maybe, you know, no one has any reason to believe me, but I didn't. I didn't look at any of them. We didn't use any of the VOD info from those scrims. We just played our game, because I know we were better on Coastline. He thinks that we counter-strided them, but no, we were just we're just a better team on Coastline, and I knew that going into the game. That's why I picked Coastline. Uh, and then the second map, we played them on Villa, which I know we're also very good at, and we beat them 7-3. 
but I think that series was made and, and broken on Codeline, to be honest. I think that's so, yeah. fair. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, then so so we come out of that and we're like we're two zero against Secret. We got six points on the board. You know, the only other team that managed to do that in the first week was Easy Dream, uh, because they played uh, Gifu, and they two would them, which I don't think should surprise anyone, because Gifu were really bad that season. They finished last. Uh, although they did manage to pull out a rabbit out of the bag, I guess, by beating Penta on Consulate and denying their CL their PL spot. Which is uh, something that Penta is still paying for. That's so, so yeah. To know. <laughs> um. So then we go through the CL season and we're we're prepping. We 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 just we just say to each other, right? You know, we're gonna take it one one game at a time. We're gonna prep the maps. We're just gonna scrim those maps that we know we're gonna play. I never get the map bands wrong. I know what map we're always gonna play, but to be fair, like you know, it's not like I'm some mega genius with map bands, right? It's it's a best of one, right? It is so easy to force it down to two maps, right? So you know, it's not like you're ever gonna get surprised in the map bands when it's a best of one, because there's no reason to take risks. So so yeah, we never get surprised. We always just take them to, to maps where we're we're comfortable on. And uh, yeah, so next next week we have Easy Dream coming up, and I know it's going to be between it's going to be between Consulate and I think maybe like Border and Coastline. And a funny thing about this is I actually get to see this game from the other perspective now because Phenomene, my current analyst, was the analyst for, for Easy Dream during that season. Mm-hmm. So it's always funny to talk to, uh, talk to Phenomene. Because you know we were essentially battling each other at that point, and he actually told his team not to take us to coastline, and they ignored him, and we beat Izzy Dream seven three on coastline, because uh, we know exactly what they're gonna do. You know, uh, I know they're just gonna do lion pushes and stuff like that, and yep, that's what they did. And we we spend I think a couple of rounds we get knocked off of balance because they have some really good attacks, uh, and then we just we keep up with their playstyle, and then we be, we win like four defenses in a row, and then we slam them. So yeah, we beat them 7-3, and I'm like, yeah, great. Okay, now they're going to go to Consulate. They're going to rely on this, like, Lion pushing again. Their droning was, like, really bad at this point. And I was like, yeah, I think if we ban Lion, they're going to be screwed. And I'm like, yeah, so they're going to ban Thermite. Because I looked at the, ma- the operator ban data. I went through every single qualifier, including the French League qualifiers that Izzy Dream played. And every single time they play Consulate, they ban Thermite. Every single time. I think there was, like, one time they banned Thatcher. So I'm like, yeah, they're going to ban Thermite. And they banned Thatcher. And it completely killed our attacks. That was, like, probably the best counterban I've ever seen in my life. And that was Phenomene's invention. Phenomene was the one who decided to ban Thatcher. He's, that's what he suggested. That he reviewed our consulate and he decided that uh, we were really, we relied on the Thatcher a lot. So yeah. I think that's awesome. We lost, we lost 7-4. I was losing to Thanomi before I even knew the guy. Uh, and actually, after that, we decided to take Consulate out of our map pool. That uh, we weren't good enough on Consulate. That you know the Thatcher ban was devastating to us, and like we didn't know how to play around it. And we didn't really have enough time to play, you know, because uh, actually after this point in Challenger League as well, that's when our um, uh, like the acceleration side, like you play two games a week rather than one. 
so yeah you know that's when things started to accelerate because so we decided you know we don't have enough time to change things around we're gonna just play you know just you know do our thing and we're just gonna remove conscious from our map pool so then uh we get to week three and this is the week that we play crazy and there's a lot of controversy that surrounds this game. Let's talk about it then. Yeah, yeah. So I will say from the bat, before I joined the game, before I joined the team, here's what happened, right? So they got crazy, which I don't know if anyone knows crazy. They're a really big Polish org. And my team, before I had joined it, this all happened before I joined, they asked crazy you know how did you get the sorg what you know what happened there and crazy sent back a google document that contained a uh you know like a resume basically and they said like you know this is what we prepared and i don't know how leon because i never really heard the specifics but somehow leon managed to or maybe it wasn't leon i think it was quadzi at the time because quadzi was still part of the team Someone on our team, I can't remember who, because I, I didn't, I don't know the specifics. This all happened before I was there. Managed to find from that Arcus page of where he had all of the scrims and all of the scrim vods. And from the scrim vods, we were able to find links to all of their strat books because they would put them in like TeamSpeak and stuff, and you just, you know, you just type it in because they didn't have any of their Google Drive stuff like locked, like you should do, right? You should have it restricted so that. You can only view it if you're logged in on Google, right? So, yeah. They have scrim vods. And I'm like, you know, I guess this was a really immoral thing to do, but we used those vods. Of course we did. Who wouldn't use them in that situation, right? It's free information. You know exactly what they're going to do. To be honest, the actual vods themselves weren't that useful. Because they did very different things. They decided to scrim some stuff. We were like, wow, these attacks are terrible. And I guess they said those attacks are terrible because they completely changed them as well. And I think also, because of the way that we were playing, we were playing very off of instinct, that we kept thinking too much about what they were supposed to be doing. And we didn't think about what they were actually doing. We dropped so many rounds on Clubhouse. We go down 6-3. And then we start bringing a Montaigne and we bring it back to 6-6. Six, six. And then we go to border and we win 7-5. And, you know, um, a lot of the counterbands we did, like, for example, on border we banned Kali because we saw it in their scrims, but they they had already abandoned and stopped running the Kali. So it's not like the VODs were even useful at all. Uh, not against the rules. Nothing in the rulebook that says you you can't do that. They literally gave us the information. It's not like we hacked anything or anything like that. So, and it was a conscious team decision. Everyone on the team agreed to use it. You know, everyone knew that we had it. So, I don't know why I was the one who was getting all the flack for it, but, you know. I mean, I think it's, it's fair uh, that you get the flack there as the coach, right? I guess, but, you know, it was never my decision to use it. It was, uh, it was the team's, you know. And obviously, I was still new to this team at the time. Like, you know, what am I supposed to say? You know? It was a very tough place to be in because uh, maybe Pro League teams want to sit there and pretend that they wouldn't do that, that they have some moral high ground. 
but the reality is it's not against the rules and maybe a lot of teams don't want to win that way but you want to win and you've got to win because pl may be like you know oh you got to win a few games and you stay in but challenger league is literally you make it or it's over you know challenger league is a career maker in pro league you win a few games and you get to keep your spot for another year in in challenger league you lose like one game and that could be it that it could be over right there so every game counts I totally get you. So, yeah. So of course you of course you're going to do like immoral shit like this. Of course you would. Yeah, Secret even well, you know, Oglus at the time. I mean, their coaches were even agreeing with me and saying like, yeah, of course you would do this. Loads of people already do it. There's a lot of people who do even worse stuff than this who like, you know, leak scrim vods and shit like that. You know, we never did that. I never went and you know, saw crazy's vods and I I didn't send that to any other teams, you know. You know, and when Arkuth came to me, and he so so what happened is how we got found out is that BIOS was going through our MOS files and typing in YouTube links that he saw in our team speak, and you got to think, why why is BIOS doing that? Why is BIOS typing in YouTube links that he finds in our MOS? Because he wants to get the same information that we had on Crazy. You know, he wants our screen vods. So like, I think people are deluding themselves if they think that other people, other teams wouldn't do this. It's kind of crazy that someone would go that far just for just for vods. Like to be honest, just going. There's through. a lot of there's a lot of stuff you can find in Moss. I found people's whole strap books in Moss before. So yeah, BIOS BIOS told uh told crazy that he had a that they had a vod, that we had their vod. Sorry, um, and Arkuth came to me and he said, "How did you get the vod?" And you know, I could have said to him that someone sent it to us. I could have thrown some bus someone under the bus, you know. I could have lied. I came clean with him. I told him exactly how, how it happened. And he went to his team. I assume he just told his team that it was my fault and not my team's fault. And that's why I got the flack for it. And yeah, and then, you know, the rest is history, right? It spreads through the 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 web that is R6 Esports. I think that's fair. I'm just going to ask one question. Do you feel like if you put in a situation, you make the same one? Same thing? No, I regret it. I said it before that I that I do I regret it because not because I think it's immoral, but because um I it wasn't useful. It didn't win us the game. You know? Um I think if we had not used it, if we had uh, not concentrated on it, if we just said and um, we just said to them, Oh, here's your shit, you know, you forgot to lock it. If we'd done that from the start, I think we would have destroyed them. Because it's not like they were a, with this amazing team or anything like that. They made a lot of mistakes. I mean, um, madman tk'd like three of them during one of their border pushes not all at the same time it was like one round he tk'd one of them and the next round he tk'd another you know he had a big tk problem for some reason in challenge league so you know i don't think they were they were like this super good team i mean they were the one of the teams that come closest to beating us at, at that point right uh like izzy dream was the only team to take a map off of us um you know so I think we would have done better against them without the info, to be honest. So, yeah. I I regret it for those reasons, because it was useless. Okay, awesome. I think, uh, I think we've gone into like a lot of detail about that, so we can move past it. Yeah. 
So then, uh, the next week we go against Salamander. What a game! We play them on border, which wasn't surprising. I knew we were going to play them on border. We tried out their border, and we were we were really really good at border at that point as well. Like border and coast were our maps. And yeah, we slammed them seven two, and I was like, yeah, we're confident now. We go into Villa. And I don't know what happened on Villa, but we kept messing up the Monty pushes. Like, we weren't pushing properly with the Monty. Uh, and we we fall. We we drew 6-6 against Salamander. And it's actually really unfortunate for Salamander. Because every single week they play in Challenge League, they drew a match and they lost a match. Every single week. And so it happened here as well. They lost to us on border and then they drew to us on Villa. It's quite the curse, <laughs> like being stuck in that. So yeah, so so this was, so that was week four, right? And at this point, we were in a really good spot. We were top of the table with seventeen points. Uh, and then I was looking at the next three weeks of games, right? The three uh, play days. So, um, Panther at this point was sitting fourth on eleven points. We were at. First with 17 points, and Izzy Dream were tied with Orglus, who would become secret, uh, with 16 points. And we knew that Izzy Dream was now about to leapfrog because they played Salamander, who they were going to roll, and they did roll. They played Crazy, who at this point were incredibly demoralized because we beat them, and that was basically like they, they probably can't make top two now because they were on 10 points and they were sixth place by this point in the Challenger League. You know, unless they pulled the hat out of the bag, they were going to lose, you know. Uh, and I remember talking to Arkuth about that as well, and he agreed with me that, you know, if they'd won that game against us, then they would have put them in a really good position. But because they lost, you know, uh, they were in a really bad position. So, yeah, so I was looking at that. It's like, Izzy Dream's going to leapfrog us really hard. Orglus is going to re have a really tough time of it because they played crazy. I thought crazy actually counters Orgles quite well, which is what they did actually. Um Crazy tied one map with Orgles and they beat them seven one. Um and Orgles played Secret as well, who was still a pretty dominant force because Secret managed to tie a map against Penta. And then Orgles would play us in the last match. So I thought Orgles were they were fighting. But Penta was in a really good spot because Penta would play Gifu and then they would, uh, sorry, they would play Salamander, and then they would play Gifu after they played us. So it was basically, if we didn't beat Penta, they were 100% going to finish, uh, like, top two, right? So I was really, really worried about Penta. So I was like, we got to do a lot of counter-stratting for this. And then, bam, out of nowhere, Ubisoft goes, hey, remember that patch we talked about where Book loses his knees and everyone complained about Ying getting buffed for no reason? Oh, we're just going to implement it in the middle of your Challenge League season. Why? Why? They did it again this season as well. Like, what the hell is going on over there? What are they doing? It was in the middle of a Challenge League season that only lasted a month. Could they have not just waited, like, a week to deploy that patch? I don't think I'm going to say this to back them up, but I actually believe they're probably following the epic, like, Fortnite philosophy of, like, you know, being able to, like, release content mid, you know, tournament. Yeah, I don't, okay. It makes okay. me question if um, tournaments are actually their priority and if it's just more content it, and the casual It base. would be fine. It would be fine them doing that. And I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever. 
if one, they had informed us whatsoever of this patch going live, or, you know, two, if they had, like, um, you know, not said earlier that year that they weren't going to do this anymore, that they were not going to drop patches in the middle of Pro League, you know? But, you know, oh, we're Challenger League, we don't matter, you know, it's just EU Challenger League, who cares, you know? So yeah, they dropped a, a massive meta-changing patch right in the middle. Kudos to them, though, because they actually listened to us, and they actually nerfed Ying, but she was still there for one playday. Playday 5, Ying was incredibly powerful, so we banned her both times. So I was like, no, we are not dealing with that. Uh, I think we banned her on Clubhouse, and then the second map, Penta banned her. So yeah, no one wanted to play against the Ying. Uh, yeah, Penta... So Penta versus Clubhouse is really rough because they had to rework all their stuff, but so did we. And we had a few new strats, but they were completely untested in a new meta like this, right? Like, Buck was essential to our Clubhouse, and all of a sudden he has no nades. And I'm like, this is awful, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I remember playing a, a scrim against G2 where we played them on Clubhouse, and we got absolutely destroyed. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Because we, we, we basically had to play Clubhouse against Penta because we removed Consulate from our map pool, right? Yeah. So, it was worrying going into that game. And yeah, we dropped Clubhouse 7-2. And it was rough. It was rough. And we were like, you know what? No, we could have done way better than that. We were just really well uncoordinated and we were trying to, we were trying to do too much new stuff, right? Let's just play like we usually play which was actually our chant before we played games. We were like, play how you usually play, play how you usually play. We would constantly say that. that over and over in the lobby before we were about to play the game. And yeah, then we tied 6-6 on the same map on Clubhouse. Uh, we could have won 7-5 because I remember the very, very last round, it was a CC defense. Next one goes to the garage door and he spawn peeks and he kills their Thermite and their Thatcher. And you got to think, CC defense, they might attach dead. That's it. Round's over. You know? It's a 5v3. And then Blaz jumps in the server window, kills three people, and Penta win the round. Heartbreaking. I like, <laughs> insane. I just didn't understand how the fuck we just lost that round. And, you know, I was upset because I had originally planned to want to take Penta to theme park, but we didn't really have enough time to fully strut it out. So you know, like, surprise them with a theme park, you know? Yeah. But Or just have it as a backup plan. But it was annoying. Okay, so we managed to take two points away, so Penta probably are not going to finish top two now, right? Or they don't have a guaranteed top two, at least. You know, they are still in that kind of awkward place. Next play day comes along, Penta rolls Salamander and knocks Salamander out of the tournament, 2-0. Uh, Salamander, therefore, like, you know, they, I think at this point they're eight with four points. Um and so so is Sisu. Uh, Sisu they lost. Um, who did they lose against? Oh right, they lost against us. Yeah, okay. I remember this game. This game was crazy, right? First map we went against them was on coastline, right? And I was I thought we were going to go to border against them because I thought you know any team who sees that we'd just be easy dream and we beat secret on coastline. Why would you take us to coastline? I thought they were going to ban it. And they let it through. And I was like, wow, these guys are idiots. And then they, they tied 6-6. Six, six, and I was like, wow, hmm, maybe these guys aren't idiots. <laughs> <laughs> um, but something that really surprised me is that they actually banned Coastline the second time around. 
so when we played them on the second map, it was actually Border, which I was, what I was expecting. And then we, we destroyed them 7-2 because, you know, I was expecting Border. We knew exactly what they were going to do on Border, and it was fine. Um, this was also the point where I actually changed the way that I prepped for matches by... Uh, I would blueprint out all of their expected defenses. Like I would go through all of their vods, find things that are similar, find things that are their patterns, right? Do a lot more kind of behavioral analysis and try and get a more accurate picture for the players. So then, yeah, at this point, things are looking okay. We come to day six, right? So that tie against um, at this point also, so. Crazy are out now as well, because Crazy lost 2-0 to Izzy Dream. So they're out. They cannot make Pro League. Gifu cannot make Pro League. Salamander cannot make Pro League. The only teams left in the running, so Izzy Dream's already been promoted. So now, for the second place, it's between us, Penta, Oglis, and Secret. Uh, Secret are very, very unlikely to make it at this point, but everyone else is super close. Like, this season was so close, because everyone tied so much. It was crazy. Like, we tied four times at this point. We had 22 points. Penta tied three times, and August tied three times, leaving them both on 21 points each. You know, and if anyone's played a league system like this, they know that if there's a bunch of ties, you just lose loads of points. Like, the points just go out of the window. So, we get to the play day seven. The final play day, and we play August. Something you got to know about Orglus is they play like Empire, right? They play the same strat over and over again, all the time. Or like how Empire that. used to play, right? Like they, they just ran the same attacks, they ran the same defenses, and we took one look at their defenses and we were like, Monty. Monty destroys this defense easily. So yeah, that's what we run. We run the Monty attacks. We win four attacks in a row. We absolutely crippled their defense. Actually, no, 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 that's not true. We win the first attack, we lost the CC attack, and then we we win a couple more attacks in a row. We get to a church attack. It's a 3v1. The church plant goes down, and next one is playing Thatcher behind a Vaish on the Monty. And I don't know why, but next one pre-fires blue, and a Vaish gets caught in the middle of it, and he TKs the Monty. And KS clutches the round. And to be honest, I think single-handedly, that was probably the biggest throw. Not because of, like, a TK of a Monty and losing a 3v1 like that with a Monty up with a, in a post-plant. But just because of the implication of it, is that now, because of that one round that we lost, we don't get Pro League. Um, the situation, what it was like, is that if we had won this map... That was it. It was over for Oglus. They couldn't make a pro league, and we would get promoted. Yeah, um, I remember that. The, that was a heartbreaking round to and see. We were up six three, and we threw. We just threw. And you know, normally I really hate talking about throws. For example, right this season uh, under Gamma, right, we went against um, Eminem, right, in the playoffs, and we were up five one on Cafe defense. And then we lost 7-5. And everyone was like on social media, oh, wow, it's such a throw, it's such a throw. You ever tried to play a cafe in this meta without a Zofia? Do you know how defender-sided that is? <laughs> like, I'm amazed anyone won an attack in that game. 
you know? So, like, I, it's not a throw if both teams can't do any attacks and Eminem just managed to break out one. You know, that's not a throw. But it, it was what this this game was 100% a throw because we were in such a winning position, right? We were up 4 2 on attacks on a club. You know, like that that should be a winning position right there. And no, we, we lost. We lost. It was devastating. So and I think after that first map, everyone has just given up mentally that uh, maybe, uh, you know, things I could have done better. Like I prepped loads of this game. But I was still struggling with like the mental coaching aspect, right? So maybe I could have said something. Maybe I should have done something to try and reinvigorate the team. Maybe there wasn't anything I could have said or done that would have brought that feeling back that we just thrown a game. Because you know, technically, if we had you know gone into the second game, we could have we could have won and we could have done it, right? And yeah. I knew that the game was going to be between Villa or Clubhouse, but our Clubhouse was a lot stronger than our Villa. So I made the decision to go back to Clubhouse. Maybe that wasn't the best option. Uh, a bunch of people criticized me for this because you say, oh, you go back to Clubhouse, but you know all of us are going to ban Monty, right? But I'm like, okay, but if they ban Monty, then we can we have a deeper strat book than just Monty, right? Um, and to be honest, I don't think that we lost this strategically at this point, that we were just mentally gone from a throw. That, you know, the mentality was fucked. And... We were just gone, and we lost 7-3, and it was devastating, you know? Like, uh, coming so close to Pro League just to throw it away like that, I don't think, uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that a lot of people never go through in their lives. You know, like, uh, normally you just you go to college, you know, you get your job and whatever. I think only people who play, like, competition and stuff feel this kind of loss, right? You come so close to it, like the that like gathering of hope, just to be absolutely crushed by your own mistakes, and it's devastating. It really does do something to you, to be honest, because it's a career maker challenger league. You know, it's not like you know you you could get these kind of losses in pro league or even at a major or something like that. Or I think the only thing that compares would be like you know when, when it's like the invitational. And it's like the finals, and you come that close, like you know, like EG did yeah, in like 2018, the EG, like that kind of, yeah, that kind of throw. Maybe I think that's comparable in a way. Obviously, like that's, that's a the vibe I get from that, which is why you said like you could right? do better mental coach. I'm like, what do you even say though? That lost round is lost, like pro league in general. So like, what can you say there? <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know what I mean. Like, it's a struggler for sure. It's not like it's, it's they still have a game as a chance like that that whole map wasn't like a chance to still get the pro league it was the round so yeah i can i, I can understand why you would have a hard time mentally coaching there just like mentally being there for the boys because you're trying to mentally be there like for yourself you're trying to like understand what the well, hell just it's, happened it, it's always been a bit of my my coaching that i could always do better on i think that's why i can respect so. coaches to some extent there is because they have the ability to sometimes withdraw themselves from the situation and just like put away their feelings and emotions aside and like you know be present for the team yeah yeah and what sure, ways have sure. you have you like built up your mental coaching abilities or improved on so it? I, so after this game um we hired well we didn't hire the diffuse kids have a sorry oh, i can hear you now it's good okay cool okay my headphones got um, unplugged so if you were talking and i cut you off i'm so sorry so after fine. this game 
the diffuse kids have a um have a mental coach right yeah um they have a guy who works with their challenge league team with their not challenge league team with their csgo team right uh a guy called cedric who yeah. we actually brought with us to gamma as well uh he's really really good and i talk to him all the time about you know how how can i help people because he's like a sports psychologist right so you know he's got like an official degree and you know stuff like that like he's a uh, registered so you know he really does know what he's talking about and he's great to talk to about this kind of stuff and i talk to him all the time about you know what what things can i even say in this situation and and how to improve myself as a mental coach and i think i've i think i've improved a lot in this aspect obviously i've still got a ways to go but and it's always been the weakest part of my coaching is being able to bring people back right but i'm definitely i think i'm definitely getting better at it um so yeah i think cedric's cedric's great with that kind of stuff because he talks to the guys as well right they have meetings with him once a month at least um just to try and improve their kind of mental capacity and uh their ability to kind of, we call it mental resetting as well mm -hmm. i think it's an important part of esports that that people don't you know people easily forget that you get tilted you get mad you let your emotions get involved uh you're gonna lose So I think it's an important aspect, and like the work that Cedric does with the guys is very important. Uh yeah. So so we lose Challenge League, and it's devastating. We finish fourth in the season. Um, something that always gets overshadowed here is that Penta also threw away their opportunity. If Penta had two would Gifu, they would have been in Pro League, and they threw. They lost Consulate against the worst team in Challenge League. how I and mean, no one ever talks about that because you know their throw happened first and then our throw happened after so everyone always talks about ours oh, so. you guys was, yeah for sure <laughs> but but you know penta penta had their own throw no one ever talks about that but but they did they uh they i and i i remember talking to bios after i, I told bios like i was really surprised that that you would take gifu to to consulate because not only was penta really bad at consulate but gifu had never banned consulate ever and when you know that they've never played a map because no one will take them there, but they never ban it because you know that, that you know you know there's something going on there, right? Yeah, it's just like a secret. They're they're holding on to it. And someone else takes yeah. them there. It's a they surprise. Had, they had never, never once did Gifu ban it ever. Um, I think maybe they were confident because Gifu had gone to Consulate against Izzy Dream in the first play day, and Izzy Dream had beat them seven two on Consulate. But what you gotta forget is that Izzy Dream is a really, really good consular team. Or they were like at that time, right? They beat us seven four there. So you know, uh we actually didn't lose that much in uh in Challenge League. We lost one map against Izzy Dream, we lost a map against Penta, and we lost a map against Orglus. That was those were the only three maps we lost. But that's enough when it's that close of a league, when you're when you're top four when you're top three, right? So August finished second on 25 points. Penta finished third on 24 points. And we finished fourth on 23 points. When the league is this close and you tie five games, you know, like uh it's it's gonna be it's gonna be like that. So yeah, uh after that loss it was pretty devastating. We were like, okay guys, you know, let's just play Benelux. 
the guys were kind of like mentally away, so we kind of we we took a break for a couple of weeks, and then we came back. We grinded Benelux. We win it, obviously. Um, I subbed in for a couple of games of Benelux when next one couldn't be there, um, which had mixed results. I finished my first game in Benelux 0 and 7. How did that feel? Uh, I wasn't really that bothered by it because it's Benelux. I was like, just whatever. I kind of just realized like I'm a really bad comp player <laughs> because I think for a couple of reasons. One, I was playing Monty and Smoke, and I. I literally never play Monty and Smoke. Like, even when I'm playing ranked, I, I never play these oh, operas. Yeah, that'll, that'll hurt you, especially in comp. Yeah, so so that was rough to start with. And Avaish was doing his best to IGL me and to try and, like, micromanage and help me. But, yeah, I was really struggling. Because uh, we played 6-1, to one, who was, like, the second best team in Benelux, who would actually go on to come second overall, and they qualify for the Challenger League because of it. Um... They later became like you know uh, Black Mamba esports in this Challenge League season that we just passed. Uh so yeah, we you know we win Benelux, and but it's like you know it's a fleeting victory. One thing that actually kind of annoyed me about Benelux um, is that we won it, but we were expected to win it. So all of the attention went on Sector One because they qualified for Challenger League, and I'd never seen a bunch of people so happy about finishing second, and it was insane. Because afterwards as well, you know, they all put in the bio, oh, Challenger League player, or we qualify for Challenger League. But I'm like, you lost, you know? Like, how? I don't understand how you could be happy about this. That's fair. Do you feel they like it's just a thing the casters did, the storylines, to well, lead that? Uh, not, not, not just that. Not just the casters, but, like, the whole of Benelux. Like, the whole Benelux community was like, oh, I'm so happy for Sector 1, you know? And I remember Wishmaster, their IGL, who's, you know, he's a great guy and all. But he made some really weird things about his team, right? For example, their entry, Duco, who wins the MVP, despite the fact that we slammed him in the finals. So, but he still got MVP for some reason. Um, well, here's the thing about that, right? Stats-wise, Duco did actually have better stats than Deepak or Avaish. Um, Like, if you encamp the entire season in. But here's the thing. In the semifinals, they played three maps against Epsilon. And Duco was entering against Epsilon, right? Who an Epsilon who basically disbanded at this point. Like they weren't a team, they were just running rank strats. Um So they played three maps. That's plenty of opportunity for Duco to get a bunch of kills. Um and on the flip side of that, we played UX gaming, who played with their coach, and we 14-0'd them. There was zero opportunity to get a lot of kills because we absolutely destroyed them. And like no one talked about that game. No one like even if you're against a bad team, it is not easy to 14-0 a team. And I thought that was really impressive that we 14-0'd a team. But no, no one thought about it. They were like, oh yeah, what's up? It's uh it's Lowland Lions, you know, they're expected to win. And I think it you know, this is kind of like a bigger conversation, I guess, about sports and stuff, but uh I mean it happens a lot in esports as well. That the team who is expected to win has so much pressure on them for that. And even if they put a lot of effort into winning, just because they are the favorites, people really like, you know, they like go, oh yeah, it was nothing. They were expected to win. Yeah, I think I've heard G2 players when they were in their prime talk about something similar. I, I yeah, totally I, I mean, I imagine so. Like, uh, I was talking to Chess about this, right? And And they talked to me about how 70 hours of prep goes into every game that they play in pro league oh well i don't know what their current system is but like 
That's what he taught me about. That's what he said to me, right? 70 hours. 70 hours of prep goes in. And that's, like, just pure analysis. That's a lot of work. So, like, you you 7-0 or you 7-1 a team in Pro League, and people just go, oh, yeah, G2, they just win. Oh, they could just win without trying. But it's not like that. Like, you, you have to put a lot of effort into winning Pro League. It's not easy. That's really not. These other Pro League teams are, like, they might d- dominate in the map. Doesn't They're not bad teams. They're in Pro League for a reason. These are still Pro League caliber teams they have to play. I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's always one of those things. And it was one of the things that really annoyed me in the Benelux season is that, uh, you know, obviously we didn't do that much prep for the Benelux season, but we still had to try. And it's still an accomplishment to win Benelux, you know, but everyone's like, ooh, Mimalux and stuff like that. Like, I don't think Sector 1's a bad team. They took a map off of us. You know, they they beat us in Consulate 7-5 in the first map of the series. Uh, and then we, we beat them on the next three maps. But, uh, like, I don't know. It's crazy. So then, you know, we win Benelux and we have a few months to prep for the next Challenger League season. Um, this is when ESL transits, transitions to face it. Um, we were not making that much money with Lowland. And it was kind of becoming an issue for a couple of the players who didn't really see it as viable to become an esports player anymore. You know, especially after the throw, obviously crying moves to chaos when we pick up Blaz. Um, which was interesting. Um losing crying was weird because crying was like one of our top fraggers, but he didn't actually perform in the game that we played against Oglas that well. And I felt like we kind of over relied on him and next one getting a lot of kills. Um which is not how I wanted to play the game. And after Challenger League and after Benelux, we kind of said, you know, this, like, super flexible style, it makes us super inconsistent. You know, what we're doing in scrims doesn't transfer over to what we're doing in-game. We're not actually learning anything. We're kind of just, we're just playing the game, right? And I decided it was making us so inconsistent. Like, just last Challenger League season, we threw so many rounds. Like, 2v5s, 3v5s, we were, we're throwing them away. Because no one knows what anyone else is doing. So we were like, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. I'm going to get an analyst in. I got Phenomene in, um, like, halfway through the Benelux season, I think. Maybe it was after Benelux. No, no, no. It was before we played the finals, for sure. Because because at this point, we wanted a new org, so we could get paid more. Um, so I told Phenomene not to sign with Lowland Lions, but as a result, I would give him my prize pool from Benelux. Um, like, my share of the prize pool. Because oh, okay. I don't need I don't need the money, right? And Phenomene should be compensated for his work that he did. So, you know, uh, that's what I did. Um, so he got my share. Um, and then you know we had we had like a few months to prep for Challenger League, right? So to give to give some context here, let's have a look. So Benelux finished on the twenty first of July or June. Yeah, uh, the 26th of June. And Challenger League started, um, like, early October, I think, right? Uh, let me have a look. Uh, yeah, Challenger League started on the 25th of September. So we had three months to prep for Challenger League. 
So I was like, great, you know, we can really grind, we can get like a whole new strat book and stuff like that. We can play really, you know, much more consistently. We get a couple of months in and Blaz decides to retire. That he doesn't want to play Rainbow Six competitively anymore, that it's not worth it. Uh he also had a lot of personal issues going in, which I won't get into because that's his that's his thing, you know. Um but I think, you know, looking back, I think it's it's kind of a perfectly reasonable decision to make. Like, we weren't making a lot of money on Lowland Lions or anything like that. And, you know. But it was still frustrating, right, to go two months with a player for them to quit like that. Yeah. Oh, well, three months, I guess. Um, so, like, all that prep work was basically useless. And, you know, losing one player is fine and everything like that. Um, and you can recover from that, but losing two players is devastating. Yeah, it's like a whole new image for the team. Yeah, so next one left for Chaos. He got a trial with them, they liked him, and yeah, he went to Chaos. So yeah, I lost both of my players to Chaos, crying and the next one, they both went. And it's annoying because uh next one is a really, really good player and he's a very um he's like very frustrating to play against because you don't know when he's gonna peak, right? He's always like trying to beat the other guy into shooting. And he's very, very good at doing that. But Sometimes he would overpeak, right? He had a lot of really bad habits when he came into the team. And I worked with him a lot. I put a lot of hours in coaching into into turning next one into a smarter player. And he responded, you know, much better to it. It was it was kind of a frustrating journey, but you know, he, he got much, much better over time. I like I know as a coach you shouldn't really say this, but I like to think that it was as a result of my coaching or as a result of some of my help that I helped in some capacity, right? Um, so it was frustrating to see him leave, right? Because it's like, that's how Challenger League goes, I guess. Like, you're in Challenger League, you get poached, and your players leave for better teams, but, you know, why does that leave you as a coach? You put all that effort into a guy. I think that's fair. So, so how do you come back from that? So, yeah, we're now we're looking for replacements, so... Quickly, we see that Panix is on the market, and immediately, like, I'm, I'm like, we want, we need Panix. We just lost Blaz, and we need an experienced player in again to compensate for that loss because Blaz brought a lot of maturity to the roster, and he brought a lot of, um, you know, like experience because Blaz is a very experienced player, right? He knows how to attack, he knows how to make strats and stuff like that. Like, he was exactly what we need, and I said, you know, Panix can be that guy for us again as well. So yeah, we picked up uh, we picked up Blaz, and then oh my god, getting another player was ridiculous. I we we reached out to so many players, and loads of them, loads of like T three players denied trials. I was amazed. I was so surprised. What do you I mean, think a so? lot of the guys who who I asked who would actually go on to join pro teams actually like I um we asked Hasty, we asked Joe. You know those guys went on to pro teams, so. I guess it wasn't surprising that they declined us, but there was a lot of other guys that didn't go to pro teams that did decline us in favor of staying with their team, which in a way I respected, but in also another way I was like, I'm amazed. These guys are not playing Challenger League next season and they would they would stop uh, they would not want to go and trial for us. I was uh, very confused. So on a whim, we asked Astro. I had coached Astro before on Epsilon. I I knew that Epsilon that he was a really good player. I saw him play in uh, in GSA, and he was doing really really well fragging out against Rogue and Secret. You know teams that are not easy to frag out against. 
And I was like, we need an entry. We need a Jaeger Ash player, and he was the he was the guy that we needed. And I was like, you know, <laughs> but in my mind, I was like, this is ridiculous. There's no way that he actually wants to leave the Vizen because the Vizen were looking really good. But what I didn't know is the Vizen actually had a lot of internal issues with um with uh, Shermy getting banned, right? Uh, yeah. They had a lot of issues trying to replace Shermy, and a lot of issues trying to break away from their org. I don't know the exact details, and I won't pretend to know of what was going on with them. But all I know is that eventually, obviously, that all kind of well, that team kind of disbanded, right? And then Fedora became the pick up the pieces team. Um. So yeah, like it was, it was crazy that Astro actually turned around and said, "Yeah, I'll trial for you," and then he joined us, and I was amazed. But that was on the third. September, I think, that he joined us officially. And yeah. At this point we were still with Lowland Alliance. And at this point as well, uh, we were still looking for another org. We had a lot of talks with a lot of different orgs. And it wasn't going anywhere, which was very frustrating. So yeah, we are so we're two weeks away. Well, yeah, we're a few weeks away from Challenge League starting. We just picked up uh, our complete roster again. And we can start scrimming properly, right? We have a lot of, like... I remember we were getting, like, destroyed values, like, T4 teams, and I'm like, bro, what are we doing? You know, it was a very frustrating process to go through early on, but eventually we figure it out. We get a lot, lot better. Uh, we get a lot more confident. And then just before the challenge league season starts we have like throughout this month we have so much back and forth with gamma um who was this lifesaver org and i thought it was this one of these things that's like you know gamma is too good to be true there is no way that these guys actually pick us up and then finally after a huge amount of back and forth finally we get the contract signed um I can't remember, I think we signed, we had signed just before the first play day, but they hadn't actually announced the org, so we decided that we were just going to play under Lowland Lions. So we did that for the first play day, we beat Granite 7-5 on Cafe, and then yeah, then we joined Gamma. So what a, what was so um too good to be true about Gamma's organization? Um, so Gamma's owner or co-owner, KP, really cool guy. Um, I, I mean, anything I say about Gamma is going to be about like, oh yeah, Gamma is so cool. But generally, like, I do mean it. Like, they are a, they are a good org. Like, KP knows what he's doing. Uh, people might be familiar with M10 Esports. It's like a big Fortnite org. Uh, so KP owns that as well, and he's come on with another Arsenal player to to establish Gamma. And like you know, it's just this org that has all this money behind it. They have a big, big Fortnite team, you know. Uh, I was like, why is this these guys even interested in us? You know, but they were. And and KP really seemed to have his head on about what he wanted to do, and you know, he was a very experienced guy in esports with M10 and everything like that. He knew what he was talking about. And he was very open to conversations about what we wanted to do and what we wanted to accomplish. And it was great talking to him. It still is great talking to him. He really doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, 
I mean, obviously that's all conjecture, right? Because it's all like, uh, oh yeah, of course he's going to say that about Gamma. But let let's just say like, if I didn't have good things to say about an org, I wouldn't talk about them. So. I think that's totally the fair. Fact, the fact that I've decided to say something at all is, uh, I think, proof of that, I guess. But yeah, KP's really good. We got to meet um, the big owner man, the Hulk himself, uh, for a very brief moment uh, in a meeting, like online meeting. Uh, and it was cool. He's a cool guy as well. He gave us a lot of motivational things, and uh, he's a funny guy to talk to. So, so yeah, like Gam Gamma's a great org. I'm, I'm, I'm still looking forward to, to working with them in the future as well about how we're going to progress from here. But yeah, so first play day, we, we played Granite uh, on Cafe. I mean, we we messed up a bunch on this. Uh, we also, at this point, Echo was not banned from competitive. We had, instead of Gentleman's Agreement with Granite, not to play Echo. Which I think was fine for both of us because neither team was really bothered about running a lot of Echo anyway in the first place. I think they were likely to ban it anyway. Uh, but, you know, it saves, it saves both teams the headache of any glitches happening or anything like that. So, so yeah, we win 7-5 against Granite on Cafe. To be honest, I thought that Granite was the toughest team in our group from looking at their Nordic performance lately. And I was like, you know, this team is very regimented. They remind me a lot of Orglus, so they were easy to counter strat. But it's not like they were a bad team or anything like that. Well, then Granite went on to lose the next three games in a row. So I guess I was wrong about that. Really? We go against Heretics. Yeah, we go against Heretics, and I think I underestimated Heretics a lot, to be honest. Or we as a team did, right? Um, I think maybe we're a bit overconfident going into this game. We play them on Clubhouse, and we tie it 6-6. We made so many mistakes in this, in, this, uh, in this game. I think more in our defenses than anything, to be honest. Uh... You know, maybe people want to argue that Clubhouse could be attacker-sided in this situation where all three hard breaches are up. But to be honest, I think that most of the time with a Thatcher ban on Clubhouse, you should be expected to come out of a defense off 4-2. Uh, we didn't. We come out 3-3. So. And, and even if we had, you know, not come out 3-3, we come out 4-2. You know, they didn't come out 4-2 on their defense off. We beat them on three attacks, so... You know, we would have won. So, yeah, like, uh, we made a lot of mistakes here, I think, in Heretics on Clubhouse. Don't forget as well, I mean, I don't want to use it as an excuse, but it's still a reason for why we were still shaky at the start of the CL season. Is that, you know, we come in and we have still very, very recently lost two players. So a lot of the work that we did in prep for Challenger League was kind of useless. Or we were still getting used to how this new team played. Um, with Panics and Astro. So yeah. Then we come against Fedora, which is technically Astro's oldest older team, right? Uh Devizen. We look a lot of like what Fedora do and we decided to send consulate, mostly because our consulate was really, really solid at this point. And I was like I was really, really confident in our consulate. It reminded me a lot about going into um going into coastline against Secret, right? How Fedora under Devizen, right, when they played with a different roster, and Geo made a good point about this, right? 
well, I, I don't know. I don't know if she made a good point, but she made a point about it, right? That the Vizen, you know, when they had like Astro and Packable and Shermy, their best map was Consulate, right? Consulate and Oregon was their map pool, basically. Like they were very, very good on those maps, right? Yeah. Uh, and they beat Rogue and they beat Secret on Consulate. So it's like, do you want to take this team to Consulate? Blah, blah, blah. But we, we take them to Consulate and we beat them 7 4. Uh, Avaish makes a really, really good auto pick because. Um, so they banned Nomad, which I wasn't expecting because, you know, well, I mean, what am I supposed to expect from a team, right, that has no org and is running random strats? Like, I don't know what they're going to ban. They ban Nomad and we, we play Lion instead as a response to that to stop them being so aggressive. And Avaish drops like 16 kills as Lion. So, yeah, you could say that he did his job. I have a question about that. Like, why, um, how does Lion stop other teams from being aggressive compared to Nomad? Like, how does that? Well, alternate? okay, like, Nomad is the, is the preference, right? But if you don't have a Nomad and you still need flashes, Lion is the, the, the insta pick, right? You think? Yeah, 100% Lion has flashes. Yeah, I completely forgot so, about that. So, Lion, you, you still need flashbangs because don't forget, utility meta, you have to bring flashbangs. So, um,. You have to bring flashes, you have to burn ADS and Wabai's and stuff like that to get rid of shields. You know, that, that is literally something you have to do as an attacker. So, so yeah, like, I think I think the line pick, I think that was, this was one of the most frustrating things about it as well, is because we don't expect the Nomad ban. It happens, and me and Phenomene are not allowed to talk during the game. There is a face that admin in the team speak with us. We're not allowed to talk. Like, I can't say, oh, Avice, you should play Lion, or maybe we should run a Girdlock or something like that, you know? I can't suggest a change to our strategy because it the game's already started. I would still like a timeout system in online games, personally, but it's not going to happen. I said this earlier on Twitter, actually, today, that there's going to be no timeout system unless they put a pause unless, button on yeah, online games. Unless it goes in the actual game, it's probably yeah. never going to happen. Exactly. I mean, it, but it doesn't make sense to me. Like, at LAN in a best of three, you can call a timeout, but you can't do it online in a best of three? It makes no sense. You're like, where's the integrity? You know? Competitive integrity, that is, right? But maybe people don't know the actual definition of that, but competitive integrity is meant to say, you know, that the same things are supposed to be happening so that all of the players are on the same level and they all know how games are going to supposed to play out, right? Yeah. That no team has no inherent advantage. So, you know, if this can happen in offline, then why can't we do it online? Online best as well. Kind of confusing. Yeah. So, you know, I really think we should be able to, do, if we're not allowed to talk to the team during the game, we should be able to do timeouts. But I guess At not. At the very least. So, yeah. So we win against Fedora, and by this point, so that's played a three after that we're second in the group and we're confirmed playoffs so we're chilling you know all we had to do was make playoffs all you have to do is make top four and you've made playoffs out of the groups i personally really did not like this challenge league season in terms of how it was played out uh in terms of format that i thought this two groups thing was was weird and dumb and the best of ones need to go I think we should have just played a straight-up double limb, best of threes. I think that would have been way better. Uh, obviously, you know, best of three is, like, the best format, right? But uh, I think that's how it should have been. 
I think you should have put six teams on either side. Do a double limb. Give buys to previously qualified or like, you know, top seeded teams. And just go like that. Or, you know, do a group stage, but not like this. Do it in a different way. But it was like, I think one of the biggest issues with the format and something that I don't blame Face It or Ubisoft or whoever designed this format is that you went into it with 12 teams. Like, try and design like a 12-team bracket is so weird, you know? It's like, how do you design a 12-team system? I guess I never thought about it that way, but yeah, but like 12 teams is a fair one too. Like, it just seems yeah. kind of flawed. What was it before? It was eight teams. Okay. Yeah. So, while I really didn't like, I mean, we had a week to prep for each game, so it was it was it was much better than the previous CL system, where we were often playing two games a week. Um, this was still pretty brutal, and, and also the group stage didn't even really matter that much because all you had to do was make top four, and yeah, I guess maybe you could argue seeding matters a bit, but not really, to be honest. You still have to beat everyone else, and it's still single elimination, so it's not like seeding gives you that much advantages. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, we're going to play day four. Us and Windstrike are both confirmed playoffs. But we were thinking at the time, we really want the first seed, right? Like, we really want to push for that. So we play a map that we haven't played so far. We play Oregon. We bring out a map that I know Windstrike plays a bunch and that we can counter-strike them on. Uh, I know that we're good at it in scrims or that we can be good at it. You know, we've had decent scrim results on it. So I'm like, yeah, let's go to Oregon. Let's surprise them because they're probably not expecting us to go to Oregon. And yep, they let the map bands go and they, they let it get down to Oregon and they destroy us. Uh, to be fair, I think it's a closer match than the map bands suggest or that the map score suggests. So they beat us 7-4. Um, but if we hadn't lost those two defenses downstairs, it would have been six six. And so we so we go downstairs the first round, and we brought like a Goyo with a clash. And you can already see there's going to be an issue there, right? Yeah. They burn the Goyo shield. They they keep the clash trapped, and the clash gets eliminated, and it's all kind of pointless. Uh, although to be fair, I think we were kind of undisciplined at places, right, over peaking and stuff like that. So. Um. So yeah, Oregon did not go to plan. We didn't win a single attack either. They win five defenses in a row and beat us 7-4. But, you know, those, we you know, as soon as we dropped the uh, the Goyo and the Clash there, and we, we brought our other downstairs defense, we won it. And I think if we had done that earlier, it would have been a 6-6 defense, to be honest. I think it would have been a tie. Uh, I think the Oregon that we played was super defender-sided. With the um, especially with the Capitao ban from Windstrike, um, because we are banned Wamai and Thatcher, so you know a Capitao ban in that would have been would have been pretty devastating to any team that wanted to run a Capitao, you know. So you know attackers are going to be pretty stuck for options there. I think to be honest, even though you're using losing a lot of utility from the Wamai. There's a lot of other stuff that the defenders can bring there to really mess you up. And we both we both did it to them. We to be fair, we did have a clutch on our meeting defense where a Vaish clutched a 1v3 or 1v2 as Frost. 
Uh, so maybe you can argue that's not really a strategic win. But I, I think I think there would have been a tie. Uh, and then play day five, we played Mako, and they took us to Consulate for God knows what reason. And we beat them 7-3. So what about this uh, this final game versus? <sighs> so yeah, so so um so we finish uh, the group stage in second place by one point. We finish uh, on ten points. And Windstrike finished on eleven points. So they finished first seed. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't that bothered because I thought the main teams to go against to try and like the teams to beat were Penta and Eminem, and I was a little bit more worried about facing Penta early on and not on the final. Um. So I was like, you know, I'm fine with this. I'm fine facing Eminem early and not having to face them later. Because it's a single elimination, which, by the way, is really dumb. I have no idea why we're playing some single elimination brackets still in 2020. In year five of Siege, it's like, what are we doing? Surely, surely this is like, like known to be such an awful format in any respect. NA challenges, he goes through the same thing. Because if they, you lose one best of three in that, you're out. That's it. And people don't realize, like, you can't stay in Challenge League and make a living, right? The career maker is making Pro League. Either you make first first in NA Challenge League, or that's it, it's over. You might as well not play. So, so yeah. Um, we played Homeless first. Going into this match, I was very, very confident. I knew that we shouldn't overestimate, uh, underestimate um, those guys, because... They were a top Polish team. They'd actually beaten us much, much, much earlier in a charity cup on Villa. They beat us. Uh, and I hadn't forgotten it. I hadn't forgotten it at all. I was eager for the revenge, even though it was a charity match and no one cares. But, you know, we still eager for the revenge. I just remember it because they all made such a big deal out of being a CL team in a charity match. And I was like, cool, <laughs> you know, <laughs> great. Um, so we go into this match. Um, we decide to bring out. Um, so, so for example, right? I in every single game that they played of best of threes, right? Because they played Polish Masters, they were the Polish Masters winners. They had banned uh, Coastline first, um, but they didn't ban it, and I think that they didn't ban it because we had banned it a lot as well. But, okay. um, and they were expecting us to ban it at some point. Right. So we banned Villa. We've been banning Villa the whole time. Uh, they banned Consulate, you know, our strongest map. Uh, we pick Oregon, and they pick Cafe. Uh, our Oregon was very, very close, but it went 7-5 in the end. Uh, they were a lot better at Oregon than I thought they were going to be, but in the end, we were we were prepared on it. Um, I think they were a bit overconfident on Oregon, to be honest, because they had won Oregon twice in the in the. Uh, at the group stage, but they had beaten Be Kind and Black Mamba. And while Be Kind, I don't think, is as bad as a team as they showed to be in Challenge League, Black Mamba is a really, really bad team. Like, maybe Sector 1 wasn't a bad team, but Black Mamba went 0 5. They didn't win a single game. They didn't even tie a game. And you might want to argue they had a, they had a, you know, a stronger group than us potentially it was definitely a more top heavy group but like you know those guys are not good so 
Yeah, they went to Oregon against Scott Butland, and they're like, yeah, great, who cares? Yeah. So we went to Oregon against them, we beat them 7-5. They absolutely wiped the floor with us on Cafe, and I gotta say, we threw so hard on this map, I don't know what we were doing. It's It's insane. Like, a lot of guys who were not, like, reinforcing walls were supposed to reinforce, you know? We're not playing the positions we were supposed to play. We weren't not playing how we usually play, you know? How we were supposed to play in the scrims, right? And, you know, we're getting flamed for it on Twitter and whatever like that. And then we go to Coastline, which is which they leave as the decider, right? Uh, they decide to ban Clubhouse, I think, because they got... They know we play Clubhouse, and they just got 7-0'd on Clubhouse by Eminem during their last group stage game. So I think they weren't feeling very confident on Clubhouse. Uh, we banned Theme Park, uh, and we played Coastline. Uh, Coastline, a map that we haven't played in a while, but as you remember, Coastline, one of our best maps back in the day. We beat Secret on it, we beat Izzy Dream on it. I thought these guys were crazy to let Coastline through, that they'd, you know, they'd forgotten how good we were at Coastline you know, in the previous CL season. Uh, maybe they thought we were a different team or something, but Coastline was still a really good map for us. And we were saving it for an opportunity like this where a team would underestimate us and they would take us there. And yep, we took them there and we beat them 7 0. Which one? So then we go into the semifinals. We play Eminem. And, uh, you know, we prepped a lot for this game. Uh, we figured that they were going to take us to Cafe. There, there was a bunch of maps we, we stratted out for this, actually. Uh, Phenomene, Phenomene did so much work for this game. I feel I, I feel devastated for him that we lost, because Phenomene put in more work for this game than I've ever seen anyone put into anything ever. I don't think that guy sleeps, to be honest. Uh, yeah. You know, like, Phenomene is the most dedicated analyst I've ever seen in this game, honestly. He really does the work. He really does it. And he's, he produces some really quality work as well. That guy really deserves to be in Pro League. Um, his dedication, honestly, would put a lot of Pro League analysts to shame. So yeah, we go to Cafe first. They pick it. You know, obviously not a great map for us. We lost 7-1 against Homeless. We didn't really have time to fix all of our mistakes. And they banned Zofia, which, you know, that's a really weird ban to do. And we weren't prepared for that. Uh, regardless of that, we win five defenses in a row. They just managed to win the last attack, and then they win six defenses. And people are like, oh, you know, Gamma, they're throwing, they're throwing, they threw, they were five zero. What's going on? Like, okay, it's literally cafe. Like one already, one of the defender sided maps in the game, like most defender sided, and now you've taken away Zofia, which means it's going to be really hard to clear utility. It should not be a surprise to anyone that only one team managed to win one round on attack, you know? And that was the team who won. I do not see this as we threw, more that Eminem just narrowly managed to win. But they still won. I think that's fair. Um... I just forget where we were. But I'm pretty sure... Wait, are you here soon now? I just talked okay. about cafe. Cool. I was I was actually gonna ask: Is that the second time you lose on cafe? Because I know you referenced uh, the Sophia yeah. thing the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, there was the first time we lost the cafe. Sophia uh, ban. Yeah. Right? Um. But yeah, we lost cafe against homeless in the previous game. Uh seven one. 
So, you know, uh, obviously, like, they're going to pick Cafe because they know that we were not great on it. We spent a lot of time trying to improve our Cafe, but obviously not good enough, you know? Uh, to be fair, to give credit to Eminem, they actually counted a, counted a lot of the stuff that we do on Cafe. Um, like, they were countering our East take quite well as well. Uh, well I mean, we, we kind of knew what they were going to do to try and counter us, but it's it's one of those things where you, you try and play a back-and-forth game, right? And it's, uh, you know, Eminem played it better, so... Um, the Sophia, the Sophia band really, it really did throw us for sure. Like that was a good band by them. Uh, I was gonna throw any team really. I think Sophia is like kind of a, an integral part of the attacker lineup these days. But you also have to then play without the Sophia, right? So, yeah, it was equally as hard for Eminem for sure. So what's like what's the play with the team now? Like past that loss, because that's like a well, well, okay. So it's, it was a best three, right? So we we lose Cafe seven five, um, but it's not over. That was their map pick. We were we were kind of like, uh, well, they we we lose it, right? Sure, but but there was their map pick. They were kind of expected to win it. We pick Consular, our strongest map. We win at seven two. They try and counter us, but you know we're just better. We're just built different, you know. So, uh, and then the side of Steam Park, a map that we have banned. Every single play day, every single play day, we ban theme park. Um, and they didn't expect it. I mean, I already talked to their coach. They didn't expect theme park out of us. Uh, so I, I know that I surprised them. Um, they banned Oregon. We banned Clubhouse, and we took them to theme park. They had nothing on us for theme park, and we had everything on them because they've already played theme park multiple times. So we counter strike the hell out of them, and. It really came down to the wire. I mean, it went 8-7. It went 7-7, max OT, 1v1. Siege does not get closer than that. It doesn't that. get closer than On the side of map. On a decider map as well. In a 1v1 post-plant, Avaish loses it. And, and yeah, that was it. It's over. Single a limb. Now, I, now we have to wait another year until we get the opportunity again. It's a heartbreaking and, loss. <laughs> I, and again, as well, man, like we were one round, one round away from making it because we win this match and it's it's more or less EU League. I know a lot of EU League teams will say that Rogue, you know, could put up a, a really good fight against any team that comes through the relegations and loses the EU League finals. Uh, but I don't think so, to be honest. Maybe Rogue have enough time, like they have like a month or two, right, to fix their issues. But I don't think so. They went 0-0-9. They were by far and away the worst team in EU League that stage. You do not go 0-9 by, oh, just having a couple of issues, right? Yeah. It's... Like, there's got to be a lot of things wrong with that roster right now. I, I totally agree. Um, obviously, no team can be overconfident. No team can say that to themselves and say, you know... Yeah, but my prediction is that Eminem and Kawana, they both make EU League. I think they're both very, very good teams. Kawana knocked out Penta. I think that's that's a very difficult achievement. I don't think Penta are the best team in the world. I don't think they're undefeatable, but they certainly have a good track record. And everyone was expecting them to make it, so... You know. But yeah, but now our plan, I guess, is just to... We just play... We have Benelux Cup on the moment. Which, you know, it's Benelux, but it's something to play. Um... Is something we still have to like take seriously and we still have to prep for if we want to win it. 
Uh, and then, yeah, we just got to win the Benelux League when it next comes up next year. We got to qualify for Challenger League again, which is ridiculous, I think. So we finished top four and we have to still re qualify. Another thing I really hate about this format. And, uh, and yeah, we just have to make sure we don't fuck it up next time. I think, uh, so you guys are sticking together. At least that's what it looks yeah. like so far. I, I think, I think, so we, we, we talked with Gamma and, their impression is that we have the ability to make it. We know that we can make it with a bit of extra time. Don't forget, we had like two weeks with this roster for prep. Three, two or three weeks, right? To prep. I think with that's right. With the with the roster changes and everything. With that. with 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 two and three weeks with this roster, with all the roster changes that we had, I'm not using it as an excuse because you know we lost, we lost. That's fair enough. Eminem with a better team, that's where they won, you know. But I think I think we could have beaten them. I think. Um. I mean, Eminem have said it to myself that. Either this, you know, seven seven one v one OT, they could have gone either way, you know. Uh but obviously they they won in the end. They were the better team. I think a best of three kind of proves that, right? I think so too. Um, so yeah, you know, with just a bit a bit of extra time, just that tiny bit of extra time, I think we would have we would have won that. We would have won that. So. You know, now we have a year to prep. We have Gamma behind us as well. I think, honestly, you think without Gamma, we would be in a much worse position. I think people would have quit already. Interesting. But we have we have Gamma behind us. We have, like, solid income from them. We have the option to do boot camps and things like that. Obviously, you know, COVID at the okay. time doesn't really allow that. But, you know, in the future, we can do boot camps. We can... And they already gave Astro a PC, right? Uh, to help him play in Challenger League at better frames. Like Gamma's an amazing org. They give so much support to us. Uh, honestly, like um, I know people are gonna say like, "Oh, he's just simply for Gamma because he's on Gamma," but no, they really are. They're they're a really good org. So you know, I know that with their support and going forward, and like if we really grind for it, we can easily make it. I definitely feel like I I I totally get that. Like being supported by an organization, especially to that extent. With having a good income helps you guys, you know, even if you've lost, be able to, yeah. like... Yeah, I mean, I, I said it was a big reason why Next One and Blaz and, and Crying had left, because we weren't making a lot of money. I mean, Lone Line Alliance is a, is a great org and everything, and um, and they run a decent ship, and they never screwed us over or anything like that, even though they had they had a lot of opportunities to screw us over, to be honest, um, given the way that the licensing system works with orgs and stuff, but they never did it. Uh, they were honorable. They were a good org. They're cool guys over there. Philip, the guy who runs things over there, he's he's a cool guy to talk to. You know, he's reasonable. Um, but they just didn't have the resources that we needed, right? That's why we moved to Gamma. Not not because we didn't like them as an org. But it was just it's just business, you know. Um. So. So yeah, that's why you know I think that was a big reason why you know Blaz crying. I mean, I think crying would have gone either way. But you know, Blaz and next one because what we were doing wasn't sustainable. But now it is, definitely is. Okay, so let me ask a question then: with the amount of time you have towards the next couple games, what is your plan as a coach to sort of like define like the team and get them ready for the next? Like, how do you create a long-term plan like that? Well, uh, we actually we actually had a big discussion about this recently with Cedric as well, the uh, the mental coach. 
about trying to define long-term goals and try and keep them set. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to reveal our grand plan or anything like that. I don't want to give any advantages to to Penta or any other team, you know, because they're going to go. They're going through the same thing that we are, you know. They got a big odd behind them as well, you know. They got a lot of support and they didn't make it. So you know they're going to be kicking themselves over that. They're going to be in the same situation we are. So, um, no, I'm not going to give anything away here, but kind of thinking long term you've got to try and think about you know what is your next opportunity what are the advantages that we have going into this new system because now you know we can really develop like a very deep understanding of the new meta because the game's going to change a lot i mean i think everyone's under that impression right the new yeah. patch notes everything like that like the game is going to change hugely possibly more fast paced so so we have a great opportunity here to really understand the new meta sooner than anyone else can you feel and, like your team. You, know, you feel like Gamma is still a team that plays heavily on instincts right now. No, not at all. I said, I said that we, you know, we we had the instinct play when we played as Diffuse Kids on CL season uh, eleven. It didn't work. It made us inconsistent. Now we play much more strategic heavy. I mean, you can see it for yourself if you watch back our games. We are much more coordinated. We are actually like doing proper attacks. You know, we're not just messing about. Uh, to be honest, I think that a lot of teams who play off instinct will actually be a lot more successful in the new meta. Uh, as you said, I think it will be more aggressive. To be honest, I agree with you there. Uh, we'll we'll try and see what what will be more successful for us. You know what's what's going to work and what's not. We have plenty of time to figure that out. We have plenty of time if we want to do role changes or if we want to run new rosters or like, you know. Uh, you know, but we want to we want to sit together as a roster. We want to just grind it out, and we want to see where it takes us. I think that will be the best solution, to be honest. And you know, we'll see where it goes. I think it's interesting that a lot of people still have this impression that you know, roster sticks it out together and they'll make it. Kawana and Eminem have different rosters from when they qualified for CL. Um, Eminem, not really, I guess, but they'd only just picked up users at that point, so. I don't think that, you know, that's a bit different, I suppose. Um, but Kawana have a different roster from when they, they, they qualify for Challenger League, and that wasn't even that long ago. Um, us and Penta, well, obviously our, our roster is completely different, but Penta's roster is the same from Lost Challenger League, and they still lost. So, you know, maybe there's a question to be had there, is is, is keeping the same roster really the way to go? What do you think the answer is? I think it's different for every team. But I think that if you if you actually have problems and they can't be solved normally, then you need to have a good look at your roster and think, you know, is there someone else here that we do actually need to, to place out? I don't think you can ever say to yourself, I used to be in an impression that, uh, and I, I didn't, you know, it was only so very recently that I really had a good think about this and thought, you know, I changed my mind on it. But until recently, I was like, you know, anything, unless someone just gives up mentally and doesn't want to play anymore, any any roster can be sorted out, you know, through training and discipline. That, you know, it's down to the coach and the support staff to help the players be where they need to be. That you can't just drop people just because you don't like them or just because, you know, you don't think they're good or whatever. But to be honest, I, I changed my opportunity. You know, if you, if you see that there is an issue in the roster, you should change it, you know. Um, not that I, I'm saying this, like that I think we have any solutions or issues in our roster right like uh 
our roster is solid. I know that we have the potential to make it. We were, again, within one round. We just need a bit more time. But I'm thinking more in other teams' cases that I see the same rosters come through, I see the same people come through, and they always end up back in Challenger League. And you got to think, like, are you thinking differently? Or are you just doing the same thing over and over again? That's fair. Um, I guess I have a couple, like, final questions to round up that more centered sure. on you as a coach. Um, now that you have an analyst and you don't have an analyst that can help you with these details, and you've spoken so highly of him, I actually didn't know about until till now, and I look forward to actually looking more into this guy. Um, what kind of coaching do you feel like you actually do then? Because I feel, like, in detail. Because I feel like, um... Well, well, me and Phenomene, we split up the analyst work between each other, right? It's not like he's the analyst and I'm the coach. It's more oh, like okay. we're both the coach. Uh, we split up the work evenly between us. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about the strats. We come up with the strats together. You know, we talk about the, with the team with the strats and stuff like that. And uh, while he's doing a lot of the numbers stuff, I'm designing the spreadsheets that he puts the numbers into, you know? Okay. So it's not like... You know, like, I did all the formula for all of our spreadsheets. After we lost the last Challenge League season in Season 11, um, I went back and I redid, I created a whole new analyst system, new spreadsheets and everything, and, like, way more in-depth, you know. And Phenomene fills that in. I make it. I make improvements to it all the time. Uh, yeah, so that that's how it works. We have a more symbiotic relationship. Um, I know I said it earlier, right? That a lot of times when when teams you know have an analyst, it's more like they're working for the team rather than they're part of the team. But Phenomene is part of the team, you know. His wins are our wins, and vice versa, right? So it's not like he's working for us because a lot of teams do have that impression of analysts. Maybe that's fine for them and all, but it's not fine for us. He's a part of the team. He's on the same contract as well. He's getting paid the same amount that the players do. And so am I. We're all on the same contract. So there's no difference between us. It's fascinating. Yeah, I think I think that's awesome that like gets to something like that and just be Yeah. Being in that position as an analyst, I think is awesome. I think yeah, you're right. A lot of teams do make analysts feel like they're, you know, working for the team, not necessarily like with yeah, to be to be honest, actually, I'll take back what I just said, right? I think it's a mistake that teams do that, that they do not keep their analysts as part of the team, that they see them as outsiders. Because, you know, uh, your analyst is part of your team, your coach is part of your team, your support staff are there for you, they're working for you, sure, but they're also a part of your success story. And if you don't let that be a reality, you're underestimating them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I guess I, I can ask another question I had, which was, um, how did the maps thing come about, you making the blueprint maps? Like, what was your first uh, goal with creating that? So, ages and ages ago, I looked at the Ubisoft blueprints, and then there's, like, other guys who have made blueprints out there as well. Um, And I looked at them, and I thought, these are complete garbage. Like, they're all in 1080p for to start with, which means if you're trying to just draw out a room, it's, it's you know it's so hard to see anything, right? They're all super cluttered because 
is all this crap. Like, have you ever looked at CCTV on Border as, like, using Ubisoft's blueprints? It's awful. Uh, a great example of this, actually, is if you go on the Ubisoft website and you look at the Hereford map blueprints, right? I mean, I know Hereford isn't a comp map, but if you look at them, it's like the 1080p image, right? And the map is in the corner. So it's actually a quarter of the size of the blueprint. And the rest of it's the exterior. And I'm like, this is this is absurd. Like, how can anyone work on these blueprints? So what I wanted was like professionally done from scratch to scale, right? With like markings on so I could add stuff like mute jammer radius and echo radius and stuff like that. Um you know, and and really, you know, have some clear blueprints. So I talked to a guy that I know, uh, maybe not Badger. He does a lot of the graphics work for CCS. He's a really, really cool guy. Um, he also knows a lot about Siege um, because he plays it competitively. He played for Granite last season in Challenger League. So, you know, he, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to Siege. And so therefore, I know, you know, this guy's a graphic designer. He can see the issues with the maps and he knows the maps themselves as well. So he's not going to make any mistakes. Uh, obviously, there were mistakes, but small ones. Um, and yeah, he he designed the blueprints from scratch and he made them, and I paid them for it. And it got to a point where, because I was doing this while I was coaching, and then I didn't need them anymore because I'd stopped coaching for a bit. Um, to go back to casting, hmm? but I obviously I still wanted stuff. Right, this was back, you know, early twenty nineteen. Right. Um, but then I was like, you know, they're just sitting here, right? No, no one's using them, so. You know, maybe I should sell them. You know, try and get some of the money back that I spent on them. So, uh, so I was like, you know, I offered pro teams. You know, if you want to pay a uh, hundred bucks to have all of the assets that I got made, you know, all the custom assets, all the blueprints that I got made, which is something like sixteen maps now, uh, and 